very special moment, Mr. Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen here, telling you, keep playing, man. Gotta keep playing. It's the only thing there is, music, man. Keep playing, all right? I'm looking for you if you don't. This is Frank Hannon, and you're listening to Thunder Underground's tribute to Eddie Van Halen. Welcome to episode 292 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. This is normally where I say this week we've got so-and-so with us, but I'm not going to run through the list at this moment. We've got 14 people with us today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get into it. You guys will figure it out. Right. (laughs) And that's because we're celebrating Eddie Van Halen. Unless you've been living in Antarctica without internet or something for the past two weeks. I'm sure you know by now that Eddie Van Halen passed away a little under two weeks ago by the time we're putting this out. So, yeah. unfortunately, of course, so we decided to dedicate a full episode to this. And when we started talking about it, we're like, hey, there's a few people we had in mind we could get on here to, like, you know, do a full episode with, just talk about Eddie Van Halen. But as we were just kind of messaging back and forth about it, like, why not just hit up a bunch of people and, you know, just talk to each person for, 5, 10, 15 minutes and mm-hmm. compile it together. And that's what we ended up doing. We reached out to a lot of people and the majority of them got back to us and were able to work out a time to record something. So that's what we've got coming up here. It's cool. We've got people from all across the board, styles of all styles of rock and that have been around since some as long as Eddie and some just a few years. So we've got a wide, wide array of stuff here. But all have been on the show, right? Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. <laughs> or upcoming. Right. Yeah, we made sure it was all people that were either past guests or people that we already had exactly. scheduled to record, like in the past two weeks. Exactly. So, yeah, we wanted to keep it at that. I didn't want to get a hold of someone that we had never had a podcast say, hey, I just want to talk to you for seven minutes about Eddie Van Halen, <laughs> exactly. not you. you know. But yeah. I'm sure the people would have done it because Eddie Van Halen, of course, meant a shitload to a shitload of people. That's right. Yeah. Well, before we get into everything, Eddie Van Halen, we need to let you know that we're sponsored by Hella Hot Hot Sauce. 
It's a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. They're a mom-and-pop style operation. They make small batch artisan hot sauces. You can see their entire list at hellahothotsauce.com. They've got collaborations with some rock artists like Ghoul. They have a sauce called Brain Jerk. And Florida Frank from Hatebreed has a sauce called Florida Frank's Florida Heat. You can check out both those and all their other sauces, like I said, at hellahothotsauce.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at hellahothotsauce. If you're on the West Coast, they're in a lot of stores out there. But if you're anywhere else like us, order that stuff online if you like hot sauce. I promise you it's hot, but it's also got a hell of a lot of flavor, which is what you want. So check out Hella Hot Hot Sauce and tell them we sent you. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma at 3146 East 15th Street. They're right in the heart of Midtown. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. And above all else, they are mother approved. Jake Thompson and his crew have over 25 years of experience. They do excellent work. You can get on their Facebook, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, or their Instagram, at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, to check out photos of all their work. I know that Jake does great work at cover-ups. I've seen a lot of photos that he's posted of people that needed some bad work redone, and he did them right. So give him a call or shoot him a message for a time to set up an appointment to talk about what work you need to have done. Also, MedFarm is a dispensary in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 Highway 51. They're right off the highway. You can't miss them. They've got a big selection, and you can check it out online at leafly.com. Their website is medfarmok.com. That's P-H-A-R-M. You can find them on Facebook, MedFarm, and on Instagram at medfarmok. They're always running specials, so follow them on all those so you don't miss any of that. One of their ongoing specials is if you mention Thunder on the Ground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is really cool. And most importantly, they're cannabis with a cause because 30% of their proceeds are going to build no-kill animal shelters, which is a very cool cause that most other, pretty much no other dispensaries are doing that I know of, at least in this area. So get over to Med Farm, so nearly a third of what you pay goes to a great cause. You can also... Pull up and go right through the drive-thru. If you call ahead or text ahead, they'll have it ready for you right when you pull up. So get over to Med Farm and tell them Thunder Underground sent you. Finally, we've got DEB Concerts, our longest-running sponsor, based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They are a concert promoter that has brought in a lot of great acts to downtown Tulsa, like Saxon, Last in Line, Great White, Warrant, Bisto Blanco, Striper, long-ass list. They keep bringing more in just this Friday night. They've got John Karabi coming. October 23rd, doing an acoustic performance. Socially distanced out there at the Ideal Ballroom. Rocket Science will be opening that show. You can find ticket info at debconcerts.com. And also, they just recently announced, I did not write down the date, but Lita Ford is coming. I believe it's December 12th. I didn't even know that. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, Doug announced this a few days ago. Oh, that... And it's me. Melissa it's, told me about that the other day, and I was like, what are you talking No, that was back then. I don't know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> I didn't even fuck. I'm stupid. I had no idea. That's great. And it's an acoustic show, so it's a... Uh, okay. You know, something different. You know, from Lita Ford, she's got Patrick Tennyson with her. It'll be the two of them doing an acoustic performance. Good. And that show will be opened by Paralandra doing a acoustic performance from them as well. 
So it'll be an acoustic night all around. And that show will be hosted by Eddie Trunk, who has hosted quite a bit of the shows out there at the Ideal Barroom. And, like we've mentioned many times, the Ideal Barroom is set up with a great system in place that pulls out it's supposed to be 99.9% of all airborne and surface germs. So they are set up to be a little bit more socially responsible than most clubs are. So get out there and check out both those shows upcoming. And of course, follow DEB Concerts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Tell them we sent you. And one more thing. I know Doug Burgess, who runs DEB Concerts, is a massive fan of Eddie Van Halen. So just wanted to throw that out. He has one of the... I believe the Frankenstein strats. Oh, cool. Like in a case. I remember seeing a picture a while, you know, a couple years ago, and then he posted it recently, of course, after Eddie passed. But it's pretty, I mean, pretty impressive setup he's got. Like it's, it looks like something you would see at a hard rock cafe or something, you know, like in a full on glass case with the, you know, the red and white strap guitar and yeah. some other stuff. But yeah, so just jumping into this, I guess we're, where are we going to start here? <laughs> well, I mean... You want to start? Let's start. I, I think you could go with... We could get into our lists and kind of what Van Halen meant to us or whatever talking points, you know? Yeah, I wanted to ask you... To kind of kick it off and then go into, you know... Because something I kind of asked most of the people we talked to, not every one of them, but the majority of them, was like, do you remember the first time you heard Van Halen? Oh, I mean, I don't remember specifically. Right. Um... You know, and I was thinking about this, and I knew you were going to ask something like this, so kind of had a answer prepared. Um, you know, jump. Yeah. 1984, I was eight, and it didn't matter if you were eight or 80. You couldn't escape that song or that that band, that record, that year. And 1984 was such a cool fucking year anyways, you know, um... The summer, the Olympics, all the music, whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm eight, so I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. I don't know. All right. The main thing I worried about at eight was, you know, being able to have uh, a full-on Pepsi instead of a Diet Pepsi. Right. Uh, you know. You make sure you didn't miss G.I. Joe on TV or something. Right, yeah. So, there's that. And that's, you know, and you don't think about the history or the whatevers. You know, but I think for when Van Halen really came on my radar was, you know, two or three years later when you're you're starting to get into adolescence and you're starting to figure out what you like and don't like and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we all loved pop music at the time, the pop music of the 80s. And then getting into the rock side of that, bands like Bon Jovi and Van Halen, you know, really kind of helped get you into the rock. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the Sammy Hagar era really, really, really married those two worlds of pop and rock together real beautifully. And one of the first things I remember hearing uh, was Finish What You Started. And I wanted that record, OU812. And I remember asking my mom, you know, we were getting ready to go to Walmart. You know, I want to get a record. She's like, what you want to get? And I told her, and... My dad was in the bathroom, like washing his hands or something, and something, excuse me, and he poked his head out. He's like, nope, you can't get that. And I'm like, why? And he's like, that means something bad. 
And I'm like, oh, you hit one too? He's like, quit. Don't say that. And I'm like, and to this day, I still really don't totally understand. <laughs> I think it's just some antiquated 70s, 80s fucking dumb term for something sexual or something that doesn't mean fuck about shit. <laughs> um, right. It's just something that, you know, stupid 80s guys said back then, you know. Yeah. Dudes in their 20s or something, because when you look back on all the 80s shit, it's all kind of dumb anyways. <laughs> all the sayings and the way people acted and, the, you know, whatever. Do you remember Totally Tubular? Oh, God. Anyways, moving, people... <laughs> moving right <laughs> okay. along. So, but there were so many great songs that, that really spoke to me then because it, you know, it, it kept me in that pop world and it was stuff I could, it was pal, you know, palatable for me. Stuff I could digest, but it also was, you know, kind of leaning, luring me into the rock world. Um, so for me, that's, that's kind of what I really look at Van Halen as and, you know, hold in high regard as just one of those gateways. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of my first memories of it. And that's, you know, why I love the Hagar era way better than the Roth era. Not to take anything away from Roth era, but that's just, you know, my age and what I like, that's just where I lie on the subject. Yeah. So that was kind of, that's mine, you know, what about you? It's almost, it's pretty similar, identical on the, the timeline at least, because we're the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm only, what, six, seven months younger than you, so right. like, I distinctly remember, it was probably 85 or something, I don't know, that I, I had a, you know, one of those giant radios that had a turntable on top of it and a cassette player. Yeah. And then like two big speakers. I yes. mean I'm not talking like the five foot tall ones, but you know like a oh, definitely. a foot tall speakers or whatever that and the only records that I remember owning because that was the cassette era. You know, I was getting cassettes, so but I owned Weird Al Yankovic Eat It, which was well no that was bad, right? Right. It was the name of the album. Which is funny because that plays into Beat It, which has Eddie on it. But and then I had Kiss Alive because I got it, I think, at a pawn shop or something. It, nice. I still have it. It's just like total shitty, like the cover's all fucked. Right. And then I had 1984. Okay. And those are the only three albums I had, and I listened to it and loved it. But it wasn't kind of like you said. It wasn't until I got old enough to like really, when we really started diving deep into music, when you're like. 12 or something, mm -hmm. which would have been the end of the 80s, 88, 89. So it was the same thing, you know, like the, the same stuff from OU812. And then, you know, after getting that, getting 5150. And then it was still one of those bands like them and like you mentioned, Bon Jovi and then Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah. All those that, you know. That's another one, yeah. And then Motley Crue and all these bands I was really getting into, Poison. But it wasn't until For Unlawful Corner Knowledge came out in 91 that, like, yeah. when that came out... That's when, yeah, I agree. I'm I became, the same. Die, you know, I went yeah. from being, I like this band, to being a diehard yeah, fan. Yeah, like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. And, I mean, by that point, I had had Van Halen 1, but I think that's still the only earlier album I've had at that exactly. point. Exactly, yeah. And then, by that point, I loved it so much that I just wanted to get everything. Yeah. You know, so that kind of goes into another question I had is, like... For Law for Corner Knowledge came out in, I believe, 91, right? It wasn't 92. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was 91. And so I was 14. And I remember hearing Pound Cake for the first time <laughs> and thinking, 
it's just one of those things. I don't even play guitar, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, this guy's using an electric drill. This yeah. is like the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Exactly. And I just like when I got that album, I listened to that shit over and over, yeah. and I'm like, I wish this drill part was longer, you know. And just like I would just like replay it over and over, and it still to this day just sounds cool as hell. Yeah. Almost thirty years later, you know. Right. Well, you know, and and, and I think yeah, what you're saying. Uh, real quick. Uh, you know, I want to go back to finish what you started. Oh, yeah. It's not lost on me. That is like a clean sound. You know, I didn't have any of Eddie's, you know, guitar acrobatics. And it was almost like, you know, uh, you know, some of it had a kind of a country vibe. But for some reason, that's what that song is what perked my ears up at the time. I don't know. But anyways, yes, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge was just fucking. I mean, it was just one of those records everybody had, like the Black Album or Appetite for Destruction. Or what, you know, whatever. And it was, uh, I mean, it sounds fucking perfect. It's just perfect hard rock. Uh, Top of the World, Judgment Day, uh, Pound Cake. Um, God, it's just a great fucking record, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. I- I've listened to it like four times in the last two weeks, really? front to back. Just, few, just pure, you know, early Van Halen has that fire, but man, this is just, uh, I don't know, for me, that's where it's at. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to say anything insulting to the, you know, the other era or the other records, but for me, that's, that was it. And then balance, holy shit. I mean, we could, we could do, we could do an hour just talking about balance. Yeah. We won't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Well, I think, I mean, you mentioned a minute ago, it's like the age, you know, it's kind of like when you, and it is. And when that's you latch fun. on, when you latch on to a band, you know, uh-huh. it's like I can totally understand why people that are six, eight, ten years older than us love Roth. Got but turned yeah. off when Sammy came along because yeah. even a couple people that are coming up here in a minute, you know, yeah, said things like that. It's like I think I know CJ said but, it. It's like yeah. you had the attitude, you know, of like yeah. I ain't talking about love, and then all of a sudden it's like, why can't this be love? You know, so it's. <laughs> I'm like, and I get it, but I just yeah. love it all, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, it's just like, you know, I've I've heard it said about, you know, SNL, for instance, and I'm a huge SNL geek, but they say, you know, uh, no matter how old you are, whatever season of SNL, whatever era of SNL you were at in like junior high or high school, you think is the best. That's a good point. The yeah. best era, no matter what really is the best era or not. And that's fucking so true. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of the bands and the music we like too. I mean, it just, it makes sense because that's your formative years. That's where, you know, you have memories connected to that shit and yeah. this and that and whatever. You get the idea. Well, I mean, I, I would love to have been able, you know, cause the, a theme that ran through a good majority of these interviews we have coming up, especially with people that are older than us was mm-hmm. that the experience of hearing eruption and running with the devil i said running sorry running with the devil and eruption for the first time you know and it's like this didn't you know nothing like this really existed see now that's a good point right there so i mean that would have been cool as shit to be able to experience that imagine not i mean once we heard eruption we had all this shit that we've heard for years yeah all the shredding all the all the things that that eddie van halen started We'd already heard. All these bands were doing it in the 80s but by the to time to drop we, that yeah. needle and hear that for the first time, not hearing anything, I mean, holy fuck. We, we'll never have that experience. 
what do we have that comes close to it? Oh, you know, the first time we heard fucking corn or something. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. You know, no one sounds like that. That's what we got. You know, everybody else got fucking Van Halen. I mean, that's, that's fucking makes them way cooler than us, dude. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not really, t- I'm not really trying to slag on corn, but just rel, just relative to that. This, that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. Something else that, you know, I thought is cool is that. Obviously, you've seen all the, since Eddie passed, you've seen all the people come out, musicians, not just talking about what he meant to them, mm. you know, like at a young age, hearing guitar for the first time, or that kind of guitar for the first time, but you hear him talking about like all the cool stuff he did, you know, for yeah. them or whoever, but hearing like the the channel on Sirius XM, They've got a lot of guest DJs. Yes. I don't know if you've heard any of these. Yeah, I've heard a few. I've heard like Tom Morello. Yeah, his was really the Jerry cool. Cantrell one. Okay, I haven't heard that. One. Vernon Reed. Oh man, it was really hear that cool. One. I listened. I heard that one yesterday when I was driving. His was really good because he went in a lot. Of, like I listened to the Brett Michaels full one, which was which was cool. But Brett Michaels is Brett Michaels, so he kind of stuck to the yeah the surface like hits and stuff yeah. but vernon reed went deep on everything you know because well, like, vernon reed is deep on everything yeah. and he's a deep cat and that's yeah. why we love him yeah and he even you know he's just like would talk about you know you need to listen to this you know part you know at the beginning of i don't remember off the top of my head little guitars you know just mm. rent you know spanish fly he'd play all the stuff that was like intricate and like you know obviously meant something to him but just to hear you know stuff like that from people all across the board like when you hear steve Vai, who was Regarded as one of the best of all time. Yeah. Say that you can't, when he joined David Lee Ross Band, there's no point in even trying to. Right, right, right. To, yeah. to play like Eddie because you can't. Yeah. You know, so, and to yeah. hear that from someone that's regarded as highly as Eddie, you know, is. Exactly. Really cool exactly, too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something else I had written down I wanted to ask you. I've, I thought of it pretty quickly after he passed and I, I even brought it up, I think maybe in the Damon Johnson talk. And do you think you'll ever. You will ever see Alex Van Halen get on a stage again and play live? Because um, you, do you remember him ever no. performing with anybody else? No, I don't. Because you know, don't Eddie know. would do guest spots here and there, but, but Alex never did. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the only way that might happen is if you know, after you know, this whole virus bullshit is gone. Like if I don't know, maybe they do some kind of like tribute show for Eddie or something. Yeah, somewhere maybe, but I just don't see that. Because that would I just don't see that going on. I mean, Eddie's the type of you know once in a lifetime enigma that you can make a like a Freddie Mercury style exactly. tribute show out of. Yeah, like a massive show mm-hmm. broadcast all over the place, especially today's age with the internet. You mm-hmm. know, so I mean that's a good point. Yeah, and but I mean other than that, I don't know. You know? If uh, Wolfgang goes on tour, he might could get him out there for a show or two. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I think I really, I, I can only imagine, you know, that Wolfgang, you know, we know he's a great musician. I'm pretty sure whatever he puts out, I'll probably like it. And it's just a goddamn shame that, you know, he's just going to get hounded and pounded about his dad the whole time. Yeah. You know, and he's going to get compared and it's. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't. <laughs> once he, once this album finally comes out, if he does press on it, you're gonna get these jackasses that oh are like God. doing a 12 minute interview and like 
ten and a half minutes of it are about Eddie. You I know, know. <laughs> it's it's going to be insane. It's the poor guy. I can yeah. already, it, yeah, it just we could go on about that too. Who knows? Well, another thing that popped in my head is maybe Wolfgang's been working on this thing for a couple years. You know, maybe Eddie's a guest on a song or two. You never yeah. know. Well, and that's the thing is like you know he he had his own studio. God knows what kind of music he recorded over the last. You know, what, 20 years? Oh, yeah. Or, what, 10 years since they did a record or whatever? Who knows what could come out still? I mean, it's just, you never know. Yeah, I want, you know, know if there's full songs or if they could even do something if they, there's songs without vocals and have yeah. Dave or Sammy come in and complete something. Yeah, who knows? But, that's not really... Yeah, that's just all the speculation yeah. that, you know, we could go on and on about forever. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing that I remember seeing shortly after, like maybe the next day, oh, Jim Wilson, who is one of our guests here coming up, made a post and said, this is like Elvis dying. Yeah, it is. And yeah, that's like, exactly what it is. And, you know, on the, I mentioned that to my mom, you know, who's a diehard Elvis fan, and she's like, is it really that, you know, because she's like, is it really that big, you know? She was like asking me seriously, and I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, someone, you know, that's, that's older and didn't listen to this style of music, I explained to her what he meant to the guitar and what, how he changed things sure. that kind of yeah. Hendrix had changed and he took it to another level, you know? Because think about it, not only, I mean, was he just an amazingly talented, groundbreaking player, but all the shit he did on the gear side of it, you know, he had his own line of gear and he, he had his own, he, he would make his own shit. He would tear shit apart and rewire shit, shit that I wouldn't even, that most of us wouldn't even think about doing. Yeah. So there's a whole other department to, you know, what, what's going on here, too. Right. Can't forget that. And even along those same lines, J.J. French, there was a story that came out today on Blattermouth, I think, that he said in an interview that Eddie is as important as Jimi Hendrix and Chuck Berry to rock and roll. Well, I think and, that's exactly yeah, right. And I mean, that's another great point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like I've mentioned this to you, I think, and Jason Carroll, and I think he's... Besides Paul McCartney, he's the most significant. He was, you know, he was the most significant living rock musician left. Yeah, I can't think of anyone more significant to what they did for rock and roll than Paul McCartney. I get that. And I get that. I mean, Ozzy, you know, might be a bigger force. You know, as far as when Ozzy passes, it might even be a bigger thing. But it's like, as much as I love Ozzy, and as important as Black Sabbath was, I don't think Ozzy singularly is as important as Eddie Van Halen. I get that. And and like the same with all the guys in Led Zeppelin or The Stones or something. Aerosmith or The Stones, they're yeah. all important bands, but I think just each guy individually is not as important as Eddie Van Halen is I individually. I get that. I know? get that. Yeah. So we're getting down here to the the slim pickings on, I know, I know. on who's left. You know, and we lost in 2020 now we've lost arguably one of the greatest guitarists of all time and arguably one of the greatest drummers of all oh, time, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. It's shit. With Neil Peart at the beginning of the year. Right. Well, we've also got our top ten lists of... We each made a top ten list of yes. both eras, and I think we had a... There's a couple other things I wanted to mention, but do we want to jump into one of these clips first? Let's get these Let's get these top tens out of the way. All right, and I didn't want to do that just, in between the clips. And then just guests... Okay. From here on out. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's the the meat of the program. Okay. 
You know, let's I didn't know if we it. wanted to space it out or what. No more dilly dallying. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, coming up, actually, one other thing to mention coming up this Sunday night at the Ideal Ballroom, Tom Green, who runs the Ideal Ballroom, is putting on an Eddie Van Halen tribute show along with Josh Jones and Homer Larry Robinson. And it's going to have, I haven't ever seen a complete list, but they're going to have a bunch of other people from the area out there celebrating the life of Eddie Van Halen. And I know there's other stuff in the works. I know that that there's a tribute band in Oklahoma called Next Halen that did a show last night in Oklahoma City. There's a deal that, you know, CJ was a part of that he talks about and his deal coming up and I know this is happening all over the country, probably in all over the world, oh, you but know it. if you're in the Tulsa area, this Sunday night, October 25th at the Ideal Barn. And I think that's, oh, and also our Van Halen, every album in a row. Oh, yeah. Go back and listen to that. Yeah. Two, two or three years ago, I didn't look at the date. Every album in a row, as it states, if you've never heard us do those, we've done it with a lot of major bands and Van Halen was one of them. I said some things in there that if you listen to it now, it'll probably sound shitty because I remember saying that, <laughs> that Eddie was a dick, but that's based off of the when it comes to band stuff, you know? It's like I'm talking defending Michael Anthony or Sammy mm-hmm. or whatever at times. And I, right. think, I think really the only people that Eddie was probably ever like that was people in his band, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could understand because as this comes out, you know, you've seen the stuff from Jerry Cantrell about how Eddie treated him on their first... Oh, yeah, totally. You'll hear it in a minute from Damon Johnson on how he treated Brother Kane when early in their career, and you've seen a million other stories. But all right, so we each uh, put together a top ten list for the Roth era, and then a top ten list for the Hagar era. Because you know I'm being cheap here and saying it's it'd be too damn hard for me to put together a top ten list of just oh man Van Halen songs. You know? It would be way too fucking hard. <laughs> Because, as we all know, there's literally only two bands in the existence of rock and roll or probably any music that I can think of that have two eras with two different singers that you could put on a concert and fill it, fill the concert up with songs from that era and everybody in the crowd would n- practically know almost every song. Yeah. What, you know, you could play nothing but Roth songs and it'd be filled with hits and play nothing but... Hager song be filled with hits. ACDC is the only other band that has two singers with catalogs like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. All right. So, David Lee Roth first, since that came first. Okay. You want to go first? You want me to? Sure. Uh, Are we doing it from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? Let's go 10 to 1. Okay. Well, for the DLR era, uh, my top 10, starting with 10, going going up to 1. Hot for Teacher, uh, Mean Streets. Loss of Control, nice. Uh, Atomic Punk, uh, Beautiful Girls, uh, Five, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, Four, And the Cradle Will Rock, uh, Three, Ain't Talking About Love, Two, Unchained, and One, I'm the One. Those are my favorites. Nice. Uh, and I, you know, I try to stay away from all the big hits and the singles, but you just can't deny Hot for Teacher. Yeah, I mean, I... I thought that too, but it's like impossible on some of this when right. it comes to this band, especially. Yeah. I like that we, I think we only have four songs the same, maybe. Well, good. So, which is cool. It's varied. 
My top 10, starting with 10, was Romeo Delight. Nice. And it was kind of hard for me for that final spot, and I was deciding between that and, like, Bottoms Up, Somebody Call Me a Doctor, DOA, Light Up the Sky, Fools. All these songs are freaking fantastic. Yeah. But we could only do 10. So Romeo Delight had Mean Streets at 9. Okay, we were in the same on 9. Okay. Feel Your Love Tonight at 8. 7, Beautiful Girls. Number six, everybody wants some. That's like just pure attitude. I fucking love it. Number five is I'll wait, which wow. to me is just like okay. the epitome of eighties when you yeah, hear it. It really is, but it's like so freaking amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> I can't just like I almost love it so much. I almost wanted to put it at two, but I can't put it above these other few songs in I front of it. That. I see that, and it's some. I think it's Kevin Graham. Our buddy Kevin Graham that claims that this is his favorite Van Halen song of all time. So nice. Kind of cool. Number four, Panama. I couldn't I couldn't leave this off because to me, Panama is the quintessential Van Halen song. I see. All four members shine on this thing. Right. It's just fantastic. Number three, Drop Dead Legs. To me, this is the quintessential David Lee Ross song. I freaking love it. It's my favorite song off of 1984. Number two, Unchained. We all know that that undeniably one of the greatest oh, riffs of all time. Yeah, it is. It, did you have that at number two as well? Yeah. Or three, okay. Yep. And in number one, Ain't Talking About Love. Nice, nice. Is tied for my favorite Van Halen song of all time. There you go. My number one Hagar song. So. <laughs> all right, into the, the Hagar stuff. Yes. Sammy Hagar era. At number 10, I had Cabo Wabo. Um, it's just catchy as fuck. Uh, nine, Judgment Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, eight, Pound Cake. Seven, Can't Stop Loving You. Uh, to, I like that pick. Right, to Amsterdam. Uh, five, Summer Nights. Uh, four, Why Can't This Be Love. Three, Finish What You Started. Two, Best of Both Worlds. And number one, my favorite Sammy Hagar era song and my favorite Van Halen song ever. Humans being. And that's awesome that your favorite song came out like 1996 or five, whatever it was. It's just the solo's badass. I liked it. The, the, I like the low humans being, you yeah. know, and it's, it's one of their heavier songs. It was just, it, it, I mean, it's just fucking great. Yeah. I mean, it's just all you'd want. Yeah. To me, that's one of the rare songs that a lot of bands can definitely pull off. Heaviness, darkness, and brightness. Right, you know, at the same time. Yeah, Typo and, Negative and, was really good at it. Yeah. Most bands can't do it in the same song. And I remember thinking, oh, well, this is cool. It's like a soundtrack. It's probably a throwaway song. I'll listen to it. And I was like, holy fuck, I love this song. Yeah. You know, how is this not on a record? So <laughs> It's like, the song's just so dark, and yeah. then his solo is so bright. You mm-hmm. know, if that's a good term or not, but like. It's fan. Every time I listen to it, I'm just like, this gives me hope that there's never going to be another tornado in Oklahoma. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, and the video's cool. I mean, except for Michael Anthony's mullet, but whatever. <laughs> but it's fucking, it's just great, man. Yeah. For those of you, for some reason, aren't familiar with this song, it came out after Balance. It was on the Twister soundtrack. Yeah. Which also features a song of just Eddie and Alex. I forgot the name of it, which is really cool. Okay, yeah. I heard it the other day on Sirius. I hadn't heard it in years. Yeah. All right, my number 10 is Amsterdam. We both had that. 
fantastic deep cut off of balance. I had like finish what you started, seventh seal, can't stop loving you, top of the world, 5150 that I all wanted to put on there, but I had to go with Amsterdam to finish out the list. Gotcha. Number nine, black and blue from OU812. To me, I just still remember when I was a kid hearing this song, just blown away that that they're singing about having sex so much that like they got bruised. Right? And that's what Sammy's saying. I'm just like, this is fucking amazing. You know, when in your 13-year-old mind, you know? You're right. <laughs> Number eight, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do. Nice, that, nice. That riff is just insane. This whole song, another amazing song off balance. That riff is like, the sound of that riff is like if, if a knife made a sound when it cut through something, it would be go. that riff. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Number seven, I've got your number one, Humans Being. Okay. Number six, Cabo Wabo, seven minutes of pure fucking amazingness. <laughs> number five, Summer Nights. I guess we both had that at number five. Number four, Run Around from For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Number three, Why Can't This Be Love, which is one of the greatest ballads of all time. And it's the great thing about that is the music itself doesn't sound like a ballad. It's kind of up tempo, right? But the way Sammy sings it is a little bit slower tempo than the music. I see, which is I in see. a ballad sense, you know. But number two, Pound Cake, one of the greatest songs of all time, and a number one best of both worlds. There you go. Which is my favorite Van Halen song, tied with "Ain't Talking About Love." Of course, of course. Yeah, fifty-one fifty is my favorite Van Halen album. As you so could, good. As you could see, my top five had three songs from that album. And Van Halen one, I'm probably tied with on for my number one, one A and one and one A. Right. Where are you at on your favorite album? Oh, it's definitely fifty one fifty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no question. All right. Well, our first guest here falls into that same category, actually, as far as not saying fifty one fifty, but he's a little bit younger than us, actually. So that also plays into the fact of why he's probably a bigger Hagar era fan. Right. But first person we got here is Tony Asta from Battlecross, one of the two guitarists from Battlecross. And I wanted to mention that I just wanted to throw him in first because as we're talking about Eddie Van Halen and how significant he was to us and all these people we've got coming up, Battlecross is pretty significant to our podcast. Right. The first like national touring band that we... Went out to a show and interviewed live. It wasn't Tony on that one. It was the singer Kyle Gumby. It's still actually to this day the only podcast that we had a video of as well. Exactly. <laughs> and that, and they've been on since, you know, three times in total, I think. Well, no, Gumby's been on three times and Tony as well. So four. Four, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, anyways. And, and they're always very giving of their time and... uh it's it's really cool. It was really cool, like as you know, to as we went through this to go to go to multiple shows and they like remember us and shit. Yeah, that was cool. So you know, yeah, definitely, this band means a lot to us. Yeah, yeah. Tony was on episode one hundred and one, so check that one out. Battlecross is a pretty heavy band, but I always love it whenever you hear bands, especially from. The really heavy side of things, talking about someone like Eddie Van Halen, what he meant to him, you know. So here's here's Tony from Battlecross. Hey, what's up, Thunder Underground? 
This is Tony Asta, guitarist of Battlecross. Thanks for having me. So some of my um, earliest memories of really getting down deep and jamming out some Van Halen would have to be in the early 90s, um, mid-90s, because at the time my brother had a massive CD collection and I was fortunate enough to uh, to dig through those from time to time. Uh, 5150 and for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, for whatever reason, those two I just always put on all the time. And then sometime after that, um, Diver Down, Fair Warning, um, you know, just the classics. But uh, anyway, that was right around the time I, I started playing guitar, um, now in 96. So, yeah, huge influence. Um, Eddie Van Halen's playing not only influenced me and countless other guitar players and musicians, um, but, you know, countless bands as well, like some of our favorite bands today obviously influenced by Van Halen, um, you know, game changers big time. So, and I have to admit my favorite era is the Hagar stuff. So, you know, don't hate, appreciate. And I know that, uh, Eddie had a lot to do with the arranging and obviously the piano work and all that stuff, even though he did a lot of the synth and stuff early on, just this, the shit that he does combined with Sammy Hagar for whatever reason, is just, it, to me, it just stands stands out so much. I mean, one of the signature things that Eddie did was the tapping. I mean, every guitar player knows that, right? It's the way he tapped. It's the way he, the tone he had in his fingers and how he played. And not only that, but um, the gear that he used and how he modified uh, his gear. And... Um, I don't know if this is true, but apparently he played dead strings all the time. You know, that had something to do with his, uh, apparently with his tone as well. So, you know, but to uh, go back to the tapping technique, um, I mean, other guitar players have used it, but the way that Eddie Van Halen incorporated it and the way that he played it and just the tone he had in his hands um, just changed everything, I think. And if you uh, check out any of our stuff, any of the Battlecross material, you'll you'll hear that influence in my playing as well. I'm not one percent of what Eddie Van Halen is on guitar. I'm not saying anything like that, but he definitely influenced me. So, rock and peace, the late great, legendary, the one and only, the king, Eddie Van Halen. There you go, Tony from Battlecross. He's actually the the only one that we didn't uh, have a call with to record, couldn't set up a couldn't set up a time, but he sent graciously sent us over that audio. Yeah, that's awesome. And so we're very glad to have Tony back here on the podcast. So once again, check out episode one hundred and one. Check out Battlecross if you haven't. If you love some old school thrash, I think you'll like some new school metal that Battlecross brings to the fold. So check them out. All right, so. Just rolling right into the next one then. This one's pretty significant to me because this is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Talking about another one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And I know you probably fall in that category as well. Ooh. With Frank Hannon from Tesla. Oh man, such an honor to have him back. Yeah. Frank Hannon, of course, has been one of the two guitarists of Tesla since the very beginning. And, I mean, they've been around since the mid-'80s, and they were even City Kid before that in the earlier-'80s. And, you know, so Frank's been in bands since 
a few years after Van Halen came out, but he was pretty young whenever Van Halen 1 came out, as you'll hear in this talk with him. But let's just jump into this right now. Here's Frank Hannon of Tesla. Oh, yeah, man. Um, definitely. Uh, you know, when that first came out in 1978, when Van Halen 1 first came out, um, I had been playing guitar for about, I don't know, a year or so. I was 11 years old. And uh, my cousin and I, we were listening to, you know, Credence Clearwater. And the hardest heavy rock that we would listen to would be Aerosmith, you know, and stuff like that. Maybe Ted Nugent. But then when Van Halen 1 came out, uh, I got the record uh, at a store called Tower Records here in Sacramento and brought it home. And, and it just, it blew my mind. I would try every trick in the book with the turntable to slow it down to try to figure out what the heck he was playing you know <laughs> especially ain't talking about love the guitar riff that ain't talking about love the intro to that just sounded like a machine I, I had never heard a guitar player play with such aggressive conviction and sound like uh, Eddie Van Halen did on Van Halen 1 well being 11 <laughs> pretty impressionable age I mean did that like kind of change the way you were playing well <laughs> I wasn't really that good of a guitar player at 11 years old uh, <laughs> anyway, so it didn't really change the way uh, I was playing other than it just freaked me out and kind of scared me a little bit like, wow, how is that even possible, you know, to, to, to create a sound like that that was so uh, so technically just perfect but aggressive and bluesy and all of everything that I loved about guitar from all my other guitar heroes but taken to a whole nother futuristic level. Um, so, you know, fast forward to when Tesla and every, you know, we started making our own music and everything. I was definitely influenced by Eddie Van Halen on Tesla's uh, first album, Mechanical Resonance. I mean, if you listen to Coming At You Live and, you know, doing a guitar solo on an album, you know, like that, on our first album, we wanted to do our own version of Eruption. And so if you listen to uh, Coming At You Live, um, that, that was influenced. You know, and a lot of my picking technique, like on Modern Day Cowboy and the hammer-ons that we do, were influenced by Eddie Van Halen. But to take it even further than that, I kind of had to choose to try to not be like Eddie Van Halen because everybody, all the guitar players on the planet, uh, George Lynch, you know, uh, the guy from uh, White Lion, um, everybody in the 80s was trying to uh, play Eddie Van Halen's style of guitar. So me personally, I decided, well, I can't really do it anyway. As much as I love it, I may as well just stick to playing a Gibson SG and, and stay more classic uh, orientated. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense. I had to kind of change my style to try to find an original style, you know. But Eddie Van Halen uh, definitely influenced me as a guitarist who liked to play keyboards as well. And so, like, even if you listen to Tesla's first album, um, you know, uh, changes and, and stuff that I was doing on the piano um, was influenced by the fact that Eddie bo played both piano and guitar, and that influenced me a lot. Right. Well, when you think of, like, say later Tesla music, do you hear anything in it? Like whether if it's not from you, maybe from Tommy or later on from Dave, that sounds like that there's an impact from Eddie, whether it be on the tone or the style or anything. Well, yeah, Eddie Van Halen had an impact on modern guitar tone uh, technique. 
you know, playing chords higher up on the neck, uh, you know, using the, the hammer-ons and stuff. So, yeah, and definitely the whammy bar stuff. Uh, Tommy Skeo used a, a Floyd Rose a lot on the early Tesla albums. And, uh, you know, anytime he touched a whammy bar, you know, it was definitely driven by Eddie Van Halen. But I want to say something else, though, is that Eddie Van Halen, his sound and his guitar playing really just reflected his his spirit and his personality as a guy. I got to meet him only one time in our whole career, and he was so friendly, man. Gave me a big hug and a kiss and, and, and like, welcomed me into the dressing room for a couple hours, and we sat around and talked, and he treated me like a friend that I've known for years, and I had only met him the one time. And that's just the kind of guy he was. He was real outwardly uh, friendly and uh, had a really uh, warm personality and just fun, you know, just super fun, you know. And you can see that in his smile and you can see that in his stage presence and definitely hear it in the way he played guitar, man. He was fun. Yeah. Well, was that, did Tesla, so did Tesla not ever play on a bill with Van Halen or was that just like a show you went to? That was a show that I went to uh, locally in Sacramento because I knew a lot of guys that worked for him on the road crew that also would work for us on part-time basis too. So despite all the people that I knew that knew him, I didn't get enough chance to really hang out with him that much, unfortunately. I wish I had had more time to hang out with him more. But uh, no, we never toured with Van Halen. Right. Now, we toured with David Lee Roth in the early days, but not with Van Halen. Well, you you mentioned ain't talking about love. Do you have any other like like songs or albums that are like if you're say you're going to listen to Van Halen tonight, what would be your go to? Honestly, the first four Van Halen albums. Um, you know, in fact, I was having this conversation with my son the other day. I'm not sure if Van Halen one or Van Halen two, even which one is better, because they're both phenomenal. And you know, Women and Children first is a lot of fun, but then you go to Fair Warning. And uh, I love that album, too. So um, I go through phases, but right now I'm listening to Van Halen, too, man, because Bottoms Up and Spanish Fly and DOA and Light Up the Sky and Women in Love. I mean, those songs are just freaking amazing songs. I think they actually did step it up a little bit compared to the first album. There you go. Frank Hannon of Tesla and, of course, of the Frank Hannon band as well. Of course. Frank's been on this podcast two times previously, episode 183 and episode 252. Dig back through and check those out. Both of those were fun. It was a big honor for, I know, both of us to have a member of Tesla on here, especially it being Frank, who I know you've stated many times throughout the history of this podcast is one of the most underrated guitarists in rock. Oh, for sure. Glad to have him on here talking about Eddie. A huge thank you to Jody Best from Best Bet Promotions for helping set that one up and a huge thank you to frank for calling in of course all right so this next guest is someone else that was a big honor for us to have on this podcast a couple times and again coming soon damon johnson was the vocalist and guitarist one of the two guitarists for brother kane back during the of course during the 90s and they toured with van halen whenever they were on their second album, Seeds. And it would have been whenever Van Halen was promoting Balance, I mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. Damon Johnson, of course, since then, has been a part of the supergroup Slave to the System. He was Alice Cooper's guitarist for a while. 
He's been in Thin Lizzy now for, I believe, over a decade. He was also a big part of Black Star Writers for their first several albums. He, he was in Whiskey Falls. And then, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but he's also now... He's had solo albums throughout the years, but now he's got a new album coming out with his band Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. And we talk about all that stuff on an interview that we actually recorded with him the week before. Right. Or just a few days before Eddie passed. And then he was gracious enough to call back and talk about Eddie here for a bit. And then, like I said, we've got this new episode with him coming here in the next couple weeks. So be on the lookout for that as well. He's also been on episode 170 with Ricky Warwick of the Black Star Riders. And then he was on episode 216, of course, by himself. And of course, like I said, the one coming up. So let's just jump into this. Here's Damon Johnson. You know, it was incredible to just kind of immerse all of us, man. The, the whole world was just immersing itself in Ed and all his specialness. Uh, you know, we've had him for so long, I think and certainly it's easy to take it for granted after a while, but um, so many stories, guys like you and me, we already knew. Yeah. But... Um, amazing man here read the comments from other people and um other artists that you know respected him and had some interaction with him and and you know to get to tell some of my own stories man i feel really lucky that you know we were able to tour with those guys and kind of you know have a pretty incredible experience man you know just to be around them on a day-to-day basis and uh Strike up some level of a friendship, so I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you said. It's cool to see not just obviously people love the music, but to see all the stories coming out from musicians about like how good of a person he was to them, like whether it be just giving him gear or just you know reaching out to him and that kind of thing. Well, I only thought about this yesterday, and you're the you're the first person I've said this to. But you know, man, it's impossible for someone that smiled as often as he did for that to be manufactured yeah. or fake yeah, or like a, sh- a shtick, you know what I mean? Like that's just, that's really and truly who he was. And I don't know if you read Ted Tippleman's book that came out earlier in the year. I haven't yet. I've read uh, some excerpts from it. Yeah. Incredible man. Incredible. And for all the amazing artists, that Ted had already produced when he, when he first crossed paths with Van Halen, you know, he said Eddie was fully contained right out of the gate, you know, still basically maybe he was 19 or 20. I can't remember how young he was when they signed the Warner brothers. I guess it was 76 is when they signed the deal early 77. Um, but he was fully formed and, unaffected, no rock star ego, no big trip about, hey, look at what I can do. It makes me special. Um, He just loved it and had a focus and a purpose and just loved playing with his brother. And, (laughs) you know, just incredible, man, that uh, a guy with that headspace would literally change the world. Yeah. What are, what are your um, earliest memories as far as hearing? Was it that first album? or? Yeah, man. I have this amazing story, Trent. 
uh, that I've shared with a couple people last week uh, in, in a couple interviews, but it's worth retelling. My very first garage band was my buddies from junior high school. So we were all 14. And we, uh, my drummer's dad had a buddy that ran like a little ice cream parlor kind of place. And so they set it up, man, for us to be able to play at this ice cream parlor, like seven o'clock on a Saturday night, something like that. So we were a four piece band, two guitars, bass and drums. And we're playing, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and China Grove by the Doobie Brothers and Cat Scratch Fever and like a bad company song, a fog hat song. That's about all we could, that's about all we knew. <laughs> so we play this gig and there was a guy who I think was maybe in college that came down and brought a little PA system that we were able to play through. So when the gig was over, we're helping this guy load load his PA into the back of his Chevy van. And this is one of those, uh, I forget the name of it, you know, just the, the Econoline vans, but it had the plush carpeting and the captain seat, you know, in the second seat area. Yeah. And, you know, just classic mid seventies <laughs> van. <laughs> and, uh, so man, we put the stuff in the back and he goes, Hey man, have you guys heard of Van Halen? And we went, no, never heard of Van Halen. But he goes, check this out. And I remember the vantage point I had standing at the back door of the van, looking up to the front of the van. And he took, you know, an eight track tape and slid it into his tape deck. And the first thing we heard was running with the devil. And then that segue into eruption. And our jaws were on the floor. <laughs> just imme- just immediately on the floor. And I remember my buddy Troy and I looking at, looking at each other and literally saying, what is that? How, how many guitar players are in that band? And this guy knew, you know, this dude, uh, Paul was his name. He goes, oh, that's just one guy, Eddie Van Halen. And then he pulls, he pulls the tape out and then we were able to see that album cover, you know, with the, the four photos of the four guys. And my buddy Troy goes, wow, man, that music sounds just like that picture looks. <laughs> like that, those, those pictures are badass. <laughs> it was like a spaceship. It's like a, it's like a spaceship had landed in the parking lot of this Dairy Queen. So, you know, man, uh, I think I went, I moved shortly after that with my family. We moved to North Alabama. So, I just remember buying that first record uh, right right when we moved up there. Because, uh, you know, when I didn't have any money, if I wanted to buy a record, I had to save for like two or three weeks. So yeah. as soon as I saved up enough money, man, I, I bought that record. And, <laughs> you know, I, I was just obsessed after that. Everybody in high school just knew me as the Van Halen guy. You know, I had a bumper sticker on my car, blasting it and, I played in the marching band, all that stuff. Van Halen, dude, all the time. And then I put another band together up there. And of course, it was hard to play that stuff. You know, I wasn't technically proficient enough yet to really cover it. But I know we played You Really Got Me and Ain't Talking About Love. And, you know, as I got to be more, 
skilled with my technique, you know, I would tackle some of the other stuff. But um, he changed my life, man. He changed my life before I ever even saw them. And then once I saw them live in concert, uh, it was the Women and Children First Tour, 1980. It was over for me, dude. I just, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to throw around these cliches, Trent. So forgive me if I sound like so many other people. It changed my life. It just changed my life. You know, the energy, the show, Dave, Michael's harmonies, the light show, the way the amps look, you know, Eddie just shoving it down our throats. It was almost abusive. It was so... It was like we got hit in the face with a Mack truck. And, uh, listen, man, I, I just... You know, for all of the different genres that I've delved into in my career as a songwriter and as a band member, you know, I like all kinds of music, man. But there's no question that the the, the essence of the sound and the style of music that is just tattooed on my inner musical heart is hard rock. And, you know, it's all because of that. You know, it's like the stuff that moved me during that period of time was was specifically the bands that had power and you know tempo and energy and uh so you know roll the clock forward you can imagine what a thrill it was for me and the guys in brother Kate to get to do some some dates with van halen in uh, 1995 and you know i got to tell him some of this stuff to his face so it was incredible yeah, we've we've talked to you know quite a few people that even that have you know been around for thirty forty years in the business, and you're but you're the first person I've talked to that's actually played shows with Van Halen. So like, besides just that being a great experience, like what did you pick up like from seeing him live every night that you still take with you to this day? Well, that was a unique period of time for Eddie because Eddie was sober, and you know we all know that Eddie has struggled through his life with with alcohol and he was he was completely sober that entire tour and it was hard for him and he shared that with me you know he would talk about how it's frustrating to go back to the hotel or get on the plane and you know the other guys are still drinking as you do you know end of the show you crack a beer you have a cocktail and he goes man it's torture for me it's just it's hard and I felt so humbled, you know, that he would share that with me. And I totally understand. Anybody could, could understand. Um, but I have another great story to tell you, man, that on that tour early on, uh, their tour manager introduced me to Ed. And he was just a, he was an angel, bro, right out of the gate. Just so welcoming. And, you know, I told him, I said, look, I'm a super fan. I'm going to get on your nerves. He said, Damon, you've earned your spot on this tour, man. You ask me anything you want, whenever you want. <laughs> and uh, so one day he comes by my dressing room and says, hey, man, you want to go check out the rig? You know, his guitar rig. And I was like, yes, let's go. <laughs> so this was right at the time that he was fully launched, you know, advertising, promoting, pushing, his PV5150 amplifiers, uh, one of which he sent me at the end of the tour, by the way. And mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it was in all the magazines, and it was it was just all he was focused on, man, was these 51, 50 ends. So he takes me up there, and he, uh, he let me play his guitar and blast a couple chords, and it was just, you know, <laughs> insane, man. It's so loud. And I was like, yeah. So we walk around the back of the rig, and he's showing me all these heads in these amp racks, Trent. And, man, there's like eight of these amps you know, all wired up, all turned on, you know, just mad. That's, you know, he's getting this mammoth sound and, you know, a switching system. And I'm sure he was, had some amps for some songs and he would switch to the other ones for other songs. Well, man, there was one beat up road case sitting next to these racks of the new amp, this older rack. And down at the bottom was this beat to hell Marshall head. It didn't even have the full Marshall logo on it anymore. Maybe just two or three letters. <laughs> you know, cigarette burns, all this stuff. And you know, probably, as I know, you know, he had this Marshall amp that was like legendary that Jose Arianda modded for him. And it was on those first, that was his tone, dude, those first six records. Yeah. So I looked at that amp. I looked up at Ed. I looked back down at the amp. And I looked up at him and he put his finger up to his mouth and he goes, Shh. you know, like, don't tell anybody. That's our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so even with all those, you know, all these PV amps, dude, he still had that Marshall head. And, you know, man, I, this was before cell phones and iPhones and, oh my God, I would have killed to have had a photo of that. Um, you know, I was so conscientious about not being, you know, a nerd that it really just, there's no way I would have taken a camera up there. But like, oh, Ed, can I take some pictures? That would have, that would have not been cool. So I didn't do it. But man, I wish I had one. <laughs> Special. <laughs> well, with that, I mean, that whole experience, all that being pretty early in your career, like, do you remember when you guys got the word that, you know, they wanted you to open up some shows, like what that, feeling was like or like how giddy you were or anything oh totally man it was incredible we were on the road somewhere and i got a message from uh the our tour manager sound man he said hey man you need to call the office so we stopped to get gas somewhere and so i go over to the payphone and i call and and my manager conrad he says hey buddy i got some good news uh, collective soul had to pull out of a date and the promoter wants to put you on the bill. And I said, great, what show? He says, it's opening for Van Halen in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might have dropped the phone. If, if I could really imagine my immediate reaction, I bet I dropped the phone and you know ran back to our beat-up bus to tell the guys. But So we did that one-off, and... You know, I'm sure all, you know, my, our agent and our management and everybody's trying to get more dates. And so sure enough, man, after that one off, then we got to do the entire, uh, the third leg of that tour in North America. And that, that added up to about 20 shows and we couldn't have been happier, man. And, you know, this was at the time that, you know, grunge and the Seattle bands, you know, were just crushing it. And, th and that was the focus of rock music, you know, new music at that time. But, 
you know, we had passed up some other tours with some heritage bands or classic bands because we were trying to do our best to maintain some level of relevance, you know, in the current climate. But man, there was no way we were going to pass at that. You know, I mean, anybody would have jumped at that. They would have been foolish not to. So um, we were honored, man. Honored, thrilled. It's like a dream come true. Yeah, I think that whole, that, I mean, you can't really say that any Van Halen's really underrated. Everybody knows about all of it, but that balance album just doesn't get the, you know, the accolades it deserves, I think. Yeah, there was a couple great songs on there, man. Even the slower stuff, the radio hits were good. Uh, Can't Stop Loving You, you know, was, they just had so many great songs uh, with Sammy as far as radio hits and stuff like that. Um, But then, as we know, that tour ended and that's when they had their falling out. So, you know, it's all fascinating, man. But obviously their legend was secure and their ability to sell out everywhere they played was still very intact. So, uh, you know, and like so many other people, man, you found out about his cancer and, you know, he kind of got past the first scare with it and we were all happy that he recovered and, um, and then the word got around that it had kind of returned and it was more like full-blown throat cancer as opposed to the tongue cancer he had in the beginning. And I mean, let's be honest, Trent, that guy, he never took a photo that he didn't have a cigarette in his hand. Right. So it didn't take a rocket scientist to tell that that was going to come back and, and cause him some problems with his health one day. And it damn sure did. And I hate that, man. I hate it for him. I hate it for his family. And I hate it for all the rest of us. But he he talked about that too, man. Nicotine, there's nothing harder to kick than that. Nothing. So, yeah. It's, um, but I'm certainly glad he lived. And I'm, I'm grateful for what he's given to me and the path he set me on. And, I still don't know how I was able to come from such rural beginnings to be able to be a full-time musician at all, much less, you know, get to do the things that I've been able to experience in the last 30 years, man. So, uh, but he, he was the guiding force. He was the thing, you know, and it's just extra special, you know, that he was this innovator um, Ted Templeman said it himself. He said, Ed is like in this hierarchy of great American artists of all time that is very small group. For instance, Charlie Parker, what he did for the saxophone, Art Tatum, what he did for the piano, Eddie Van Halen and the guitar, totally. He's in that hallowed ground, you know, of innovators and just change the world, change the world. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if there's anybody still living that is important to rock music besides maybe Paul McCartney. I think that's a pretty good analogy, man. Um, you know, had that kind of impact. I mean, I guess in a way Van Halen was our Beatles. Yeah. You know, it had that's the, that's the only thing to compare it to that had that kind of seismic shift. How many thousands of bands came out after Van Halen? that had 
you know, some big haired, you know, chest out lead singer jumping around like a, like Tarzan and then a guitar player playing a thousand notes a minute. Right. Uh, you know, and hey, some of them were pretty good. Some of those singers were pretty good, and some of those guitar players were pretty good, but none of them could touch Van Halen, man. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I would always laugh when people would say, talk to Eddie about that in interviews. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, how does it feel? Are you proud? You're, you were the fathers of the, the hair bands and the you know, the butt rock band. <laughs> He'd be like, fuck that, dude. That, that wasn't my fault. I'm <laughs> trying to write good songs. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Well, I think that'll work for what we're doing for this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, Trent. It's always a pleasure, buddy. And thank you guys for doing this episode. And uh, listen, we're going to be celebrating this guy for decades to come. Yes. So uh, it's always my pleasure to to talk about him. And uh, thanks for, for letting me be a part of it, man. Good luck to you guys. There you go. Damon Johnson. Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. Brother Kane, Thin Lizzy, and a ton more. A huge thank you to Damon for calling back in and talking to us about Eddie there for a bit. And all the cool stories he had from touring with Van Halen. And then, of course, just his history growing up as a fan like the rest of us. Huge thank you to Jody Bust and Best Bet Promotions for her help with that one as well. Alright, our next guest is a man named Chris Heinlein. And he is in a band called The Midnight Devils and 3D In Your Face. And this is a band that kind of came onto our radar, I would say, four or five years ago. The first time 3D in your face played Rocklahoma. And these guys are full on just like attitude of the the 80s spirit and all that great stuff. Amazing original music. And Chris is one of those guys that you can tell when he plays that he's influenced by Van Halen, but he doesn't have I mean he's not like a ripoff of Van Halen in any way. And of course when we sat down and talked to him and Sam from 3D Interface and the Midnight Devils. You know, we talked about Eddie Van Halen on that first episode we had him on back, which was episode 67. And then they joined us again on episode 135. What do you think whenever seeing this guy live? I mean, this is the type of band that, like, I hope, you know, picks up steam in the coming years. The Midnight Devils or 3D Interface, whichever one. Right. I know they're focusing more on the Midnight Devils right now. Ooh. But Chris uh, Heinlein definitely is a... Freaking fantastic guitarist that I hope more people oh, need to know about. You yeah, know? you know, guitar acrobatics, like I said earlier. Yeah. Definitely yeah. coming to play with this guy. Yeah. Well, let's just jump into this. Here's Chris Heinlein talking about Eddie Van Halen. It's like a three-way tie, but Eddie's just a, a, like a touch above everybody else because he really, uh, you know, there's Ace Freely, you know, who kind of made, you know, you go, oh. And then there's Eddie Van Halen changed literally everything, you know, literally everything was just, it's like you saw color for the first time. If, 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 does that make sense? You're yeah. like, everything yeah. just kind of clicked, you know? Right. Well, like what was the, the impact to you? Was it real early on that you kind of latched on to 
him and Van Halen's music or was it later on or how did that work for you? Uh, well, I was, uh, I was a young lad and I was mowing yards and, uh, sweeping, sweeping out this machine shop to buy a guitar and an amp. And of course, at the time I wanted to be Ace Freely, you know, and, uh, or, or be in Kiss really, you know, I just wanted to be the guitar player in Kiss and, uh, Van Halen came out and, uh, I had heard the song running with the devil. I think it was that meow, you know, and you hear thump, 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 and it comes in and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and so that was cool. So I went to go buy the record and I saw the album cover. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. The black and white striped guitar. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen nothing like that in my life. Yeah. And then when you hear the, the 90 seconds to change every guitar player's life, that eruption, and you're just like, you're like, how does he do that? I don't even, I don't, it's just mind boggling because there's no YouTube, no, no internet, no, you had to literally see him live to understand the greatness of Edward Van Halen. Uh, and then, you know, you really got me, which was a great kinks cover, but even better. Cause it was like, you know, on steroids. Right. And, uh, the beginning of ain't talking about love. And you're just like, it was just literally mind when you listen to it with headphones, it's mind boggling the effects, the guitar, everything. And then of course I'm the one, which is the end of the first side. And the guitar parts on that were just like un so unbelievable. No one could even come close to that. Just saying he was the greatest doesn't even come close to, you know, explaining the effect and the overall, you know, greatness of Eddie Van Halen. Just no one played like that. No one, you know, at that time, not a soul. Yeah. It was just so unbelievable, you know? Yeah. When you started playing, was it because of that album or were you already playing because of Ace Freely at that point? I was I was playing guitar roughly and I wasn't really good. And uh, I had a, an Explorer copy guitar because I saw Paul Stanley had one. And so immediately when that album came out, I, I, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing this all wrong. I went out and bought a strat copy and tried to Van Halenize it with a whammy bar and all, you know, I, he, he definitely made me, uh, think of guitar in a completely different way in the sense that I wanted to be more like more fluid, more fast. I, of course I wanted to use my right hand and tap. Yeah, I definitely had to use a whammy bar. That's the first thing I was like, I got to go buy a Strat with a whammy and get this figured out. And of course, I bought it and tore it apart and destroyed it and painted it 15 different times, put tape on it and was trying to be Eddie Van Halen, you know, <laughs> put a Floyd Rose on it, did everything I could possibly do to be Van Halen. Of course, you know, there's only one Eddie, but I tried, you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you get a chance to see him live early on or was it later? Or have I? I did see him really early on on the Van Halen 2 tour and uh, there was a song called Women in Love which, yeah. which has this friggin' amazing intro that he did and I was in a small venue in Lincoln it was like a, uh, I think it was like a 5,000 seat venue in Lincoln, Nebraska and he walked across the stage smiling doing the most intricate friggin' guitar part I had ever seen, and he just smiled that it was effortless. And I was like, 
Are you effing kidding me? He just walked across the stage, looking at the crowd, tapping. It was perfect. And I was just like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. And I'm like, holy shit. This guy is like, like the God of all guitar players. Yeah. And I mean, his solo was unbelievable. He was playing the Bumblebee guitar on that tour, which was a Charvel, which, you know, as many people know, he, he played that, um, he got that as a, uh, you know, from the Charvel guitar company early on for that album. He didn't play it on the album, but it was in the photographs of the album. And so everybody and their brother wanted that guitar. First the black and white one, then like, oh crap, now he's got a new one, the black and yellow one. And so everybody had to get a Charvel and then Charvel, boom, overnight, like the V guitar company. So of course that's the company I went to, you know, and that's still what I play today. Uh, but he was just the, the way he was on stage, the jump and the, the smiling, the, the, just the, the way he played, like it was so effortless. I had never seen anybody play like that before as far as when you see like Ted Nugent or H3, they're all you know, got the grimace face and they're like not moving around, you know, they're just doing their thing and they're great players in their own right. But you know, they're not Van Halen. And when you just see him just like, he's just, you know, watching paint dry, but smiling, playing the guitar. Cause it was so effortless to him. Just, I, you know, just such a, you know, mind a game changer and mind blowing experience to see him live with the original band. You know, yeah. You know, you get to watch. I got to watch the progression of him through the years. You know, and you know, of course, I'm a I'm a Van Halen guy, not Van Hagar. I loved the DLR uh, albums, the six pack. I call them. It's a perfect six pack. I loved the other Van Halen too, but Eddie was different by then. He had changed, but. Uh, still, those six albums were like the foundation of what I consider to be, you know, you know, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen guitar. You know, he wasn't really was experimenting later on with the new album or the with the Hagar era albums, but they're still great songs. Right on XM Radio, there's a they've got a they've dedicated a Van Halen channel right now. While he because he just you know he just passed, but. And I'm hearing songs I haven't heard for a long time under, under the Hager era. And I'm like, man, I, I can't believe, I forgot how great this song was. And I forgot how great this song was. Yeah. You know, and they, they did uh, that ill-fated Greatest Hits album in 96. So they had three new songs. And I'm like, man, I forgot how great them songs were. You know, it's, right. you can't even, it's just, you know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm crushed. There's no doubt about it. He's, he was a big big huge giant influence on me and i'm i'm definitely crushed and gutted and i don't know really, I, I you're the first person i really talked to about it because i oh, wow. the, my bandmate sam and jimmy you know not to even say anything to me i'm just like i'm i'm i'm, I'm mourning don't say anything you know <laughs> <laughs> so you know but he they have reached out to me just left a message and said oh sorry buddy i know how much you meant to him like yeah yeah I, you know yeah i'm sorry go ahead buddy well sorry I oh, know. I was just gonna say, is there is there anything like that he does, or no, that you do like to this day, like in your playing, that you think you owe completely to what you might have learned from listening to him? Um. Oh yeah. I, I think <clears throat> every player, whether they admit it or not, yeah, uh, owe something to EVH. Uh, I would say one of one of the. I have a real weird picking style. 
because of EVH. I like when I the way I speed pick, tremolo pick, whatever you want to call it. I, I, it's not like how EVH does it, but I credit him with it because I couldn't do it like he did. Does that make sense? Yeah. He, he did a like a flip of the wrist thing. I'm like, holy shit! How the hell do you do that? I couldn't do that. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, my tremolo, the Floyd Rose, I owe a lot to him. I'd say the way I the way I approach the, how I use the Wango, I owe to Ed. Um, the way I have my guitars built, I owe to Ed. The amp I use, Ed. You know, it's it's not like I'm I'm not a clone of his. I just I do different stuff, and obviously no one could be him. But you know, I I uh, he put the plot, he put the the you know the schematic down. And I just kind of followed it and kind of did my own thing with it. You know what I mean? Right. So he he made all the cool guitars cool. You know, he he said, well, this is, you know, this is how I do it. And everybody copied him. But they couldn't play like him. Like, he had his action high, and I had mine low. And he likes strat style guitars, and I like star bodies. But basically, the Floyd Rose setup, the one humbucker pickup, the maple unfinished necks, that's, I totally stole that all from Ed, you know? Yeah. literally like that's how he did it that's how i do it you know and we all we definitely owe all something to eddie period you know yeah. even you know even the greats owe something to ed because he definitely did something that made every every guitar player just look at him and go holy cow you know yeah i just read a story here just a couple hours ago that uh where steve vied said, I don't know if it was yesterday or today, where he had said that when he, you know, joined David Lee Ross band, he didn't try to mimic anything that Eddie had done because he said it couldn't be done. So there was no point in it. And, you know, that's pretty big coming from someone like Steve Vai that's like regarded as highly as Eddie was, you know. I read that same story where he said, you'd be a fool to try to copy him. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. I also said something along the lines of Eddie Van Halen made the unconventional conventional. He made what he was doing like the norm because he was doing everybody copied him, you know? And I'm like, yeah, people like somebody as big as Vi or Satriani or whoever to say, Oh man, Eddie, you know, I mean, it's literally, he's the godfather of, you know, shred guitar period. You know, there's no ifs, ands or buts, you know? Right. It's weird to me when somebody who's in a band or, you know, we do many multi band things. And it's weird to me when a guy, uh, someone in a band goes, Oh, I don't, I don't really listen to Van Halen. I don't really like Van Halen. I just look at him like, What? How can that even possibly be? You know, but there are people out there, you know. There you go, Chris Heinlein of the Midnight Devils in 3D in your face. Once concerts are back in full swing in the coming year or two. Do yourself a big favor and check out the Midnight Devils if they come to your area. It's a great freaking time, I promise you that. Thanks to Chris for calling in and sharing his thoughts and his love for for Eddie. And like I mentioned earlier, episode 67 and episode 135 both have Chris, along with Sam Morris, who's also the bass player and vocalist of the Midnight Devils. So check that out. Alright, next up we've got a man that I think there's a, a small group of people in this world that could sit down in a room with Eddie Van Halen 
and play at the same level. And Mitch Perry is one of those people, I think. Right. Mitch Perry is a phenomenal guitarist who has been around for almost as long as, you know, Eddie Van Halen in the on the professional side of things. I believe his first album that he was part of was maybe 80, 81. Mm-hmm. So only a couple years after Eddie. Gotcha. But he talks about being someone that was already already a great guitarist and already established. He talks about here in a minute even how hearing Eddie Van Halen, you know, changed what he was doing, which is, you know, kind of cool to hear from someone in his position. Mitch Perry, of course, is part of Talus with Billy Sheehan. He was a part of Steeler. He was a part of the Macaulay Shanker group for a bit. Right. He was Cher's guitarist for a while. He's been the guitarist for the suite for a while now. And he has, he's done a plethora of other things. And he has a, a band called the Mitch Perry Group who put out their debut album this year, just a couple months ago, called Music Box. And I promise you, this thing is killer. I listened to this like three times last week alone. Yeah. If you love your classic rock, your stones, all that kind of stuff, you're going to love this thing. So check out Music Box if you have not. But Mitch Perry was on episode 261 earlier this year. And he will be on a new episode coming soon here in the next few weeks. Because we talked to him, you know, at the same time that we did this Eddie Van Halen thing. He also, we also did another interview with him for the podcast. So let's hear what Mitch Perry has to say about Eddie Van Halen. You came up, you guys kind of came up at the same time and you were already playing by the time, you know, he was on the scene. Did he, after you heard his music for the first time, did he have any effect on you in influence in any way? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone on this planet who heard Van Halen who wasn't immediately. I mean, I am not going to say you were driven to go out and play like him, but I'm sure that you, anyone who heard that for the first time who had an interesting guitar, even if they were you know, playing nothing but the blues, had to go, what the heck did that guy just do there? <laughs> I mean, it it was from another planet. So, of course it did. You know, what's really funny is I played right at the very beginning, like one of my first professional gigs. Um, you know, my first real band was the kids, but I did a couple of gigs with other bands. And the drummer in one of those bands uh, was also a guitar player. He uh, he actually plays with, um, oh, oh, who is that guy? Um, David Allen Coe. Okay. Um, but, uh, he showed me that tapping trick, like way back in 1975, 76. Now when Van Halen came out, it wasn't, you know, until 78 that we heard that. And remember, we didn't have the uh, benefit of YouTube. We didn't have the benefit of, uh, MTV even, you know, unless you were going to a Van Halen concert. You had no idea what he was doing on that guitar, yeah. And it was real. It was really funny because when I first saw that trick from my friend in the uh, previous band I was talking about, um, I immediately tried to play it, and he tried to do it, and fumbled over it, and went, "That's." That's a lot of work for nothing <laughs> and put it away. But it, 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 it never left my, uh, my uh, memory. And when I'm trying to pick out eruption, 
I think I I put two and two together because I, I figured the, the uh, third the third uh, triad that Eddie plays in Eruption you can't really figure that out how to play it on guitar without tapping and and I put the two and two together so it obviously affected my playing I mean I started tapping and you know even though Van Halen was the reason not everybody had seen Van Halen do that so you know that kind of you know, I totally got it because of Eddie. Um, and uh, I, I did it a lot when I first started playing uh, until Pat Thrall took an interest in my playing. Um, and one thing he said to me, he goes, man, you do that great, but you should stop because you're going to sound like every other guitar player. And that's when, you, when you get to L.A., you'll see what I mean. This was just before I came out here to play with uh, Alfonso Johnson, which Pat had hooked me up that gig. And he was right. You know, I mean, you, you had a, a world of incredibly good guitar players and we'd all been getting schooled on that stuff. But, you know, I, I, I kind of laid off of it again until uh, until I wound up joining Talis. And you know, there, there was no way I could look across the stage at the amazing stuff Billy was playing <laughs> and keep from tapping my own neck. Right. <laughs> Earlier in the 2000s, you did that little guitars cover for that uh, tribute album. Like, how did you approach that as far as like not, you know, so you still sound like Mitch Perry, kind of like we talked about earlier with Jumpin' Jack Flash? Yeah, you know what? I didn't really approach it that way. I just tried to do a good representation of it. I mean, this is it. I, I did that song. I did that song because... um you know, I was asked to, and, and it was paying, you know, homage to one of my heroes, and I was playing with some great players on it. But if you had asked me to cover a tune, would I have ever picked that? And I would have said no. And you would have said, well, why? And I would have said, what the hell am I going to do to this song to make it better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the smart the smart generals don't fight battles that they're uh, that they're not going to win. So, you know, um, I, that that would be something that I would have never covered. But in in this context, doing it for a tribute album where most of the guys on the record were basically trying to go and honor the sound and the style of Eddie. You know, I, I did my best at trying to do that. You know, and of course, I got to do it, as you said, on little guitars. So that was a challenge, but I'm pretty proud of what we did. Yeah. Throughout your career, did you ever play any shows with, with Van Halen or at least see him live as a fan? I don't know. I, I saw them, uh, you know, a number of times. I, I never played on the same bill with them, um, but I did see them a number of times. and. You know, um, yeah, you know, like I said, I was not a, you know, not, I wouldn't say, you know, I couldn't say I was a friend of Eddie's, but I've been fortunate enough to meet him and get to talk to him a couple of times. So, you know, I, I, I tell you, uh, it, it's, it's still, it's been over a week and I'm, I'm still, you know, the, the, everything seems a little flat, you know, uh, it, whatever your your opinion of music i mean the the guy is undeniably the most influential guitar player and, and for me i mean I, I 
I just think what he created was mind-boggling and amazing. And, and in the retrospect, of, you know, of thinking about it this last week, I'm more blown away now than I was a week ago. Yeah. And he, he was really something special. Yeah, it's been really cool to see all, you know, musicians across the board, you know, just talking about stories of, you know, whether it be them, you know, their interactions with him or just their favorite music, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, and it really has it's been some really neat things, you know, and just going back and revisiting, you know, some of the old recordings, like I listened to those demos that Gene Simmons did with the band in 1976 and listen to a live concert from uh, Fresno in 1978. And, and it's just mind blowing how those guys knew what they were doing and knew where they were going and had their sound way back then. You know, Eddie was taking that guitar to another place <laughs> so, so long before any of us even had a clue. There you go. Mitch Perry of the Mitch Perry group. Talus, share the sweet and a long list of other amazing accomplishments. Or he's lead of Ford as well for a while, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. So check out the Mitch Perry Group's new album. And like I said, he was on episode 261. And also a huge thank you to him and to Jody Best, Best Bet Promotions, for help setting that one up. All right, coming up next. This is cool because if you had told me back in 1991 that 29 years from now <laughs> we would be talking to the vocalist for Slaughter about the guitarist for Van Halen on a program because podcast wasn't even a thing back then right that me and you hosted I'd be like oh okay that sounds completely <laughs> unrealistic but here we are here we are <laughs> we're talking about Eddie Van Halen and Mark Slaughter which Another thing to point out, you know, we've talked about it before, and you'll hear Eddie Trunk and other people talk about it. Everybody knows Mark Slaughter and what he can do when he sings for freaking Slaughter. You know, the guy's got a voice. He's still got it to this day. Also, of course, with Vinnie Vincent Invasion before Slaughter and his solo work now. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of your average fans don't realize is that this guy's not just a guitarist. He's also a great guitarist. He's yeah, like he, a trained guitar. He's classically a trained guitarist. He's a hell of a player, man. Yeah. I think he even did, didn't he do Eddie Trunk's like yeah, the intro, podcast intro yeah, or something? Podcast called? intro. And, yeah. You know, he, he played, he, he, he did, uh, he played dates with Nelson, remember? Oh, that's right. I like forgot about that. Like he played lead guitar for Nelson. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Right. Yeah. Well, Mark Slaughter was on this podcast back on episode 217 earlier in 2019. We talked with him before, not long before they played Rocklahoma in 2019. Yeah. Which was the last time we got a chance to see Slaughter. And man, you know, not just him, he's also got Blando in that group and Tim Kelly. They're fantastic guitarists. He talks about them as well in mm -hmm. here. So. Let's hear what Mark Slaughter has to say about EVH. Even though you're known as a singer, you're also a great guitarist. Like, what kind of impact did Eddie have on you early on? The first time I heard, you know, I I was growing up playing guitar, um, and I had a, a I have a background in jazz guitar, and 
the teacher that I had was one of the top guys on the strip, Jimmy Kay and also Alex Domshot, which are big jazz guys in the Las Vegas community. And uh, I remember getting the Van Halen record, and I took the Van Halen record to these guys, and I said, I need to, I need to play like this guy. <laughs> and when I first heard the Van Halen 1 record, and they were like, I don't know how he's doing it. Like, because nobody were really, you know, doing the tapping thing. And in jazz, it's a different mindset, too, that it's four fingers, four frets. So it's just in a small little area. There was no wide stretches in jazz. It's all pretty much right there with, within a tight box. You know, that's the style of doing it. So when I first heard that record, it, you know, it changed my whole world. Um, as a guitar player. Um, and then, you know, I've said this before without, you know, Van Halen kicking the door open in Southern California for, for all these bands during a new wave time, you know, it was all new wave on the radio and Van Halen kicked the front door open for, for all of us. And there, we wouldn't have had the success if it wasn't for those guys doing what they did, you know, because it really opened the whole, you know, let all the cattle in. Here we here we go. You know? <laughs> right. So so not only did it influence me, but I, you know, without that, we, I wouldn't have the career that I have. You know, period. Yeah. When you look at, you know, your music, music you've been involved with, whether it be with Slaughter, with Tim Kelly, or Jeff Blando, or before with Vinnie Vincent, like what do you hear and stuff you've been a part of that, you know, you think's directly influenced by Eddie and the, the playing style. Oh, I can tell you right now. I, when I when I wrote uh, uh, the wildlife uh, riff, uh, Dan and I were writing it, and it was very much in the style of how Eddie plays. You know, Eddie. I say this all the time. Eddie is as good of a rhythm player as he was a lead player. His rhythm, you know, what him and Alex did. And Alex is a very very underrated drummer. What a phenomenal drummer he is yeah um and you know with with eddie and him they they played as one brain i mean they really because they grew up together and they were brothers they played so well together well when i wrote the wildlife it was you know basically if you're ever sitting down as a guitar player learning it it's very van halen and the 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 riffs and the rhythm in between is not your standard just chug 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 it, there's a lot of that uh uh that, that influence of Van Halen, especially in that track of more than any of them. That's the one. And Tim was like, you know, you're an ass to, you know, I hate this song. Like when we first started, because <laughs> he thought I just wrote it just to mess with him, <laughs> you know, and he, he was pissed off because you just wrote that. Cause you're trying to make it hard. You know, I don't do that way. You know, cause he was Schenker, you know, Steve Lukather. I mean, all great players, but, you know, that, that was his influence, but mine was in the Van Halen, Larry Carlton. So it's jazz and, and, and Van Halen. So that's where I came from. Gotcha. But uh, he had, he ended up telling me later, and, you know, as we were touring, is, you know, I hated that song when, when we first started it because it's my favorite favorite song to play live. <laughs> that's that, was great. Just, that, was, that was Tim's favorite because, you know, he, uh, he climbed that mountain, so to speak. That's great. Did you, throughout your career, did you ever play any shows with Van Halen? Never played shows with them. I, I ran into Eddie um, at the Bill and Ted uh, party. 
there was uh, Gene Simmons and, and uh, Paul and Shannon, Dana, myself, and ran into Eddie. And I met him there. He, he was he's very, very kind, you know. You know, look, he's a, you know, not only is he a great player, but I think he, you know, inspired a lot of guitar players to not be scared to, to Frankenstein out a guitar and look for better tone and look for, you know, something that's going to add something to your, your sound. And, uh, you know, I've got probably about 10 guitars that I've put together in the barn, you know, and again, it's that Eddie Van Halen mentality of like, who cares? Just put it together, make it work, man, your hands. (laughs) So you find, you find things that add different tonalities for different things and different songs or, or, you know, tracking. That's how I look at it. So I've got all these guitars that are strats and tellies and, you know, these, you know, crazy guitars that, look, you wouldn't buy them in the shop, but they work great for me, you know? Yeah. On that uh, little guitars compilation tribute that came out, like in early 2000s, you recorded I'm the One with Doug Aldrich. Like, have you ever, like, performed other Van Halen songs throughout your career? Yeah, we've done, you know, Ain't Talking About Love, the standard, you know, stuff, Running With The Devil, uh, we've done. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm driving as we speak. I'm driving in the mountains of Tennessee, head down to uh, through Alabama to play a show in Mississippi. So um, we have one show at a state fair. It's the first one we've done in eight months. Wow! And uh, it's with the you know the government. It's a state fair, so the government approved it. So we're going to go in there and you know with all the restrictions and masks and all the other stuff. It's going to be a little odd, but. You know, I got my EVH guitar that I'm going to, you know, play Fly the Angels on and, you know, send a tribute out to Eddie myself, you know, because um, it's, you know, it's one of those things, man, where, you know, we, we're all blessed to have that guy as a, as a mentor and, and uh, you know, incredible way of, of approaching it, which is no fear, just get, just jump in the pool, don't, don't test the waters, just jump in there and do it, you know, and that's a, that was a good part of it, of his nature. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you having me on, and you know, thanks for doing that. It's you know, again, uh, it's a it's a, a somber you know moment, but at the same time, it's his life should be celebrated. You know, absolutely. So, uh, that's what we're, that's what that's what we're both doing. It's yeah, a good thing. You know, hopefully somebody listens to this and that side of it and goes, you know what, man. I'm going to pick up a guitar. I'm going to make music and enjoy life. That's really Van Halen was the party. You know, that's what they really were. Yeah, the whole, like all eras of it, I think, is just a good time, you know? It's a good time, you know. And, you know, David was a front man and Tammy was a singer. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dissing, you know, either one of what they did, but they were both so strong at those two areas. You know, David was such a great front man and, not saying that Sammy's not, but Sammy's a singer. He's known as a singer. So it was a different style of Van Halen, but I, I appreciate that just as much as uh, the early years, you know? Yeah. But, yeah you know, the tr- truth is of the early years, they were all young and, you know, they were, you know, they were lighting the world on fire and you hear the party. It's, it's coming off the needle and on that record, you know, just, 
big time. I mean, what a great records. Great records, man. There you go, Mark Slaughter. Of course, of Slaughter. A huge thank you to him for calling in. As you heard there, he was driving while he called in. He was on his way to, I think he said Mississippi or Alabama for a Slaughter show. Nice. Driving down from Nashville. So I appreciate, of course, him taking the time to give us a call there to talk about Eddie Van Halen and some cool stories as well. He had an album come out just here two or three years ago called Halfway There, which is a great, great to hear him back on on record there because it had been a while since we, you know, heard something official from Mark Slaughter because Slaughter hasn't had a new album in quite a while. So hopefully we'll get something along those lines one day, but a huge thank you again to Mark Slaughter. And of course, a huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her help with that one as well. Definitely. All right, next up, we've got C.J. McClellan, who I mentioned earlier. C.J. McClellan is the guitarist for the band Grind. They're based here in Oklahoma. And he's been on this podcast now four times. times. Yeah, Four times. Let's see here. Way back at episode 41, he was on with Del Diver, who was the vocalist and also rhythm guitarist for Grind, as well as episode 134, CJ was on with Del again, and then episode 161, CJ joined us for our Kiss every album in a row. Like I mentioned earlier with Van Halen, we did that on Kiss, and CJ joined us because he's a massive fan of Kiss as well. And in episode 181, CJ was on here with Paulette from Fist of Rage, talking about the We Are Tulsa music tribute. So check out any of those episodes. They're all fun. CJ's always got great stories. Good to talk to. He's become a good friend of not just this podcast, but us both personally. Of course. Over the past couple years. Yes, yes. And we had to have him on here because I know that he's a massive fan of Eddie Van Halen, as any guitarist should be. So let's check out C.J. McClellan has to say. Dell works for a guy, um, a company that uh, one of the one of the uh, owners there is like a. He's actually both of them actually. There's two kids there that are incredibly accomplished musicians. One of which has gone on tour with Michael McDonald, and it's like he's really very very talented. Anyway. Um, Wednesday, we're going to like meet in like this undisclosed location in this hidden fucking warehouse somewhere. And it's going to be all these guitar players and drummers and bass players. We're going to get together and play all these Van Halen songs. <laughs> wow. I can't even wait, dude. I'm like a kid, like waiting for Christmas, man. I'm, I'm like so freaking <laughs> excited about this. Is this just a thing for fun? Are you guys like doing something with it, recording it or something? No, I think this is more just for the celebration of Ed. You know, we're just, we're all huge Ed Van Halen geeks. And so this is kind of just us getting together and getting to play songs that, honestly, our bands would never play, you know, but we all love the music and it's it's just a way for us to kind of come together and honor him and and, and enjoy that moment together with people that, that loved him. You know, so it's, I'm like, dude, I'm like ridiculously excited about doing this. Man, that's cool. So like yesterday I spent literally like eight hours with a guitar in my hand, like 
with YouTube on and I was watching football, college football and all that crap. But, you know, at, at the same time, I've got a guitar in my hand and I'm brushing up on all these old Van Halen songs, trying to really remember, like, I used to know this shit, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like this stuff, just something you just pick up. You actually got to like work at some of those things. So, yeah. I mean, speaking of that, like, so where did your love for Van Halen start? Was it at a pretty young age or was it after you were already playing guitar? Um, I'd say probably around seventh grade is when I first kind of really came into Van Halen, like in on my, my radar. Uh, the night it was right before the 1984 record came out, diver down, all that stuff was, was still kind of out there. And, my uncle had kind of introduced me to Van Halen, but um, the, the 84 record hit and like, that was just such a game changer. It was, it, it, it pushed them to the forefront of everything because you had this just enormous band that had all this energy, like we're going to take over the world and they had this pop influence. And so you, you kind of mix the pop radio with this just tremendous just energy and you know it it was just it it really caught everyone's attention in that era so probably about seventh grade is when i really really became a van halen fan and then from there you know i kind of worked backwards kind of learned about some of the stuff earlier because like when the first record came out in uh 78 i was only like seven years old so okay i was probably more into I was more into Kiss at that point because they had action figures and things like that. But, right. you know, so it wasn't until about 84, 83, 84 that I really kind of picked up on Van Halen and was like, holy shit, what is this? And, you know, it was just everything in that band was just so over the top. It just I, I, I just long for bands like that. You know, I mean, the closest thing we have nowadays to anything like Van Halen is still Panther. Right. I mean, to be honest, and and they're just a carbon copy. You know, they're nothing like that. But can you, you know, can you imagine 1980, 82, seeing a band that comes out and basically just is like, we're, we're here to fuck shit up. We're going to steal your girlfriend. We're going <laughs> to make you wish you were us. And by the time we leave here, everyone's going to be like, holy shit, what did I just see? That was Van Halen from 80 to 84. Yeah. It was just, it was otherworldly. But were, were you already playing guitar by that point in seventh grade? I had just started. Okay. I had just started. And I, I got hooked up with a friend of mine um, who was a good guitar player. And... Um, you know, back then, when you're just starting a guitar, you just hang out with people and they're like, oh, that's cool. You can play this Judas Priest riff, or you can play this Miley Crew riff, or you can play this Van Halen riff. That's really awesome. And, you know, so back then, um, that's kind of what it was about. And that's kind of what makes me excited about this get-together this this coming week, is it's going to be, it's almost going to be like back in the day when we'd go to people's houses and we'd just play riffs and be like, well this is how I think it goes. And then the other guy would play it and you'd be like, no, no, that sounds way, way cooler than what I'm doing. How are you doing that? I, I really kind of think Wednesday when we get together, it's going to be a lot of that, you know, kind of just sharing 
our takes on on these Van Halen songs. Some I think it's just going to be really pretty pretty damn cool. Yeah. Was there? I mean, is there anything like in your playing now that you think? I mean, obviously Eddie is like responsible for a ton of stuff that people all over the board do. But is there anything you think specifically that you do playing wise that is directly influenced by him? Absolutely. I mean, the the, uh, the shadow that Eddie Van Halen cast is far and wide. But like, you know, any hot scorching day, it feels greater in the shade. Right. So it's way cooler in his shade that he's cast. And the fact of the matter is, there's not a guitar player in rock and roll right now that has not in some way been influenced by Eddie Van Halen. I mean, he... He set the world on fire in 1976 when they first came out. And then when, when, when the world got to know him in, in 78, 79, 80, he completely changed the genre. He is the, he's the Jimi Hendrix of our, our, our generation. And so yeah. when I look at my playing, if I'm going to you know, kind of try to break down, well, where do I see his influence and what I do, what I do it's the... It's, it's the quest for that articulation, the clean tone where you can hear every note ring out. Um, you know, I'm not always, you know, the stuff we do, I'm not trying to shred like he did. Uh, I like playing that stuff privately, but it doesn't always fit what we're doing in grind. But just the, the clean tone, the articulation where you can hear every note ring out. Um, is something that I think I've adopted and, and definitely have been influenced by him heavily. And then the other thing is just, you know, people celebrate the shred part of what he does, the pyrotechnics of his, his lead playing, but the phrasing, just the note choices he picked were just so odd at times. I mean, the phrasing was so unusual. It's just something that I've always tried to take away is to try to, you know, try to pick a note or two that just doesn't seem like it would typically go there. Um, so those are the two things I think when I, I would analyze what I do versus his influence on me, um, that I think I try to carry forward, but there's not a, there's not a rock and roll guitar player today, even the greats. I mean, Steve, I would tell you Eddie Van Halen was his greatest guitar player. Nuno Betancourt would tell you Eddie Van Halen is probably one of his biggest influences. There's not a great guitar player today that will not cite Eddie Van Halen. Right. He's just, he's permeated all of rock and roll. Yep. With that impish grin, like I'm, you know, I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. He knew it. (laughs) And it was, it was awesome. It was, it, it was awesome to behold. Absolutely. Did you ever get a chance to see him live? Yeah, I got to see those guys on the Monsters of Rock tour in, I think it was 88, 89, when they toured the state. They did like a stadium tour around the nation with uh, Kingdom Come, Dawkins, Metallica, the Scorpions, and Van Halen as the headliner. I got to see that tour. They, they toured in Little Rock, Arkansas in 84, but I don't know. I was probably grounded. <laughs> Some dumb <laughs> shit that I did. So I didn't get to see him in 84 with David Lee Roth, but I got to see David Lee Roth many other times when he was on the Eat Him and Smile and all that stuff, the skyscraper tours. But I got to see Van Halen um, close to their prime 
in the uh, 88, 89 era. Very cool. So they were... Uh, they 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 definitely were just a powerhouse band, even uh, even as they transitioned into the Sammy Hagar era. Yeah. What's your favorite riff of or or song of Eddie's? Oh man, good lord, that's just not even fair to ask. The <laughs> guy was so proficient. Um, my favorite record, I mean the the Van Halen rec the the Van Halen one record was so iconic there's not a bad song on it it's hard not to pick that one but i really have always been drawn to fair warning just because it just has there's just a meanness and this ballsy attitude to the and swagger to that record so songs like dirty movies and so this is love um would probably be ones that i would i would immediately call out and be like those songs just always really stuck you know, stuck with me, unchained. They just had such a swagger to them. Mean Street. So I yeah. probably, you know, mean, I mean, I mean, there's so many records. Yeah, you got Mean Streets, you got Dirty Streets, Hear About It Later, Unchained, So This Is Love. They, that record's just full of just these songs that are like, fuck you, man, we're going to take your girlfriend backstage and you're going <laughs> to wish you were us, you know, and it just... <laughs> That that persona and that swagger really personified what the early Van Halen was all about for me. Because, you know, as David Lee Roth said, the David Lee Roth era was ain't talking about love, right? Yeah. You know, you got to bleed for it, baby. And then the <laughs> Sammy Hagar era was, why can't this be love? <laughs> you know, it was just completely different takes, you know, but you had this um, incredible backing band and you had the maestro Mr. Eddie Van Halen um, really kind of being the thread that kept it all together. There you go, CJ McClellan of Grind. A huge thank you to him for calling in and talking about Eddie there for a bit. He's a great guitarist in a great band. Grind is just a pure rock and roll band so check out their music on Spotify or YouTube, wherever you listen to music. Like I said, he's been on here episode 41, 134, 161, and 181. So dig back through and check out some of those past episodes with CJ as well. All right, now we've got Jim Wilson. This is another one that both Jason and I have been a fan of this guy since we first heard Mother Superior probably in the late 90s, right? Right. Right around the turn of the century, actually, which sounds funny to say, but here we are 20 years later <laughs> yep, from the turn of the are. century, so... <laughs> Jim Wilson was the frontman guitarist and vocalist for Mother Superior. They had several amazing albums. And when I say amazing, I, you know, I know I throw that word around a lot, but like these albums are, that band was amazing. Oh, yeah. They're on fire. Yeah. That's just a phenomenal band that many people did not know about. Now he's in a band called Motor Sister, which, if you don't know the story behind that, is that Scott Ian was a massive fan of Mother Superior as well, and he wanted to form a group to play Mother Superior songs with Jim Wilson on his birthday. So they did it, and then it turned into a full-time, not a full-time thing, but an actual band. They put out an album called Ride a few years ago, where they re-recorded a bunch of Mother Superior songs, and now they're working on a brand new album that should be out early next year with all original music. Yeah, which is going to be great. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, absolutely. That features, besides Scott, 
Ian and Jim Wilson. It also features Scott's wife, Pearl Day, John Tempesta on the drums, and Joey Vera of Armored Saint on the bass. Phenomenal super group right there, and they live up to the, the hype when you see all those names together. Jim Wilson was also a part of the Rollins Band for a couple albums, which are both fantastic, highly underrated albums as well. And he does a bunch of other stuff. He has solo albums out now, which are both great. He's got an album and an EP, both great. Well, the album is actually still coming. I say that because we actually got a sneak peek of it. So to me, it was kind of out, but it's not. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Jim Wilson was on here on episode 179. And then here a few months ago on episode 270. So check both those out. And let's jump into this. Here's Jim Wilson talking about Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, it's been a wild couple of days. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of celebrating and just uh, some sadness or just kind of, you know, just seems unreal, you know, because we haven't really known a world much without him. You know what I mean? And, uh, just crazy. I dug out all the records, just been listening to everything the past couple of days, you know. The albums are so short, they fly by. Yeah, I know. <laughs> especially the good ones you know because they're just so into it yeah yeah we did uh well it's been a couple years ago now we do a thing every once in a while where we listen to an artist's catalog in its entirety from start to finish i mean on our oh yeah that's cool on our own time and then we get together and you know just discuss how their catalog progressed and everything and van halen was one of those ones where it was just like you said it just kind of flew by because there's not really an album i didn't you know i don't like so Right. Yeah, me too. And uh, it just, they get, I, I think they get better with time too. I mean, you know, it's always been there and I, you know, as a guitar player, I think one of the things that I learned from Eddie Van Halen is to uh, not try to play like him. You know, I, every, every friend. And, you know, when I first came to California, the whole sunset strip was all Eddie Van Halen guys, you know, and some were good or whatever, but as soon as you heard it, it was like, okay, you're not him, you know? So it, it's, you know, it's a tough one to have that influence and then try not to uh, ruin it, you know, cause he was just, I, I mean, it's just, his playing was unreal. Like, you know, I've never uh, just every time that I saw him play, I, you know, never expected to have my mind blown, but I always did. You know what I mean? Uh, I saw the, last show at the Hollywood bowl, the second show. And, um, I had heard reports that they weren't playing very well, you know, just prior to that on the tour. Uh, maybe the first, when they first got back together, they were quote unquote on fire, but you know, it, it, I'd heard from people that, you know, some of the shows were sloppy and whatever, but that show was phenomenal and his guitar solo was incredible. And, you know, it just made me, even a bigger David Lee Roth fan. I think because it was the second night of the, they played, I think it was Friday and then they had off Saturday and Sunday was the second show, I think. And, um, they'd given a a lot for that first one. So the second one was a little more relaxed, which I think helped, you know, them just play better. Cause it wasn't like we, we need to impress LA. It was more like a, a great show. Yeah, and I also went to the uh, that Jimmy Kimmel thing where David Lee Roth cut his face with his baton or whatever. Oh, right. 
<laughs> that was a trip. I mean, because uh, what they showed on TV after, obviously, it was the edited part. But there, you know, they came out and within the first 30 seconds, he was doing that and he cut his face and you could see something was wrong. And uh, it was like, is that blood? Because there was some camera, you know, some screen set up too. And then he said, oh, I cut my face. I'll be right back. And so he was gone for probably five or six minutes. And at that moments, Eddie and Alex were kind of jamming blues and just kind of jamming. So Eddie was pissed. He kept looking over at the side, like, come on, you know, <laughs> but for a fan, it was like, wow, they're, they're totally uh, rocking. <laughs> like, you know, just off the cuff. That's what a great, there's, there's Eddie the cat. What a great team. Though. I mean, not enough gets said about Alex too. Like he's just, you know, he's the same way on drums to me and just the greatest. Yeah. But what's the, you told me before the first time you saw him was on the 5150 tour. Yeah. Yeah. I missed the, you know, I missed the David Lee Ross stuff. So I was 16 and just got a hand-me-down car from my sister. And, uh, it was the day of the show. They were playing the Philadelphia spectrum. And I worked at this place with my buddy, Bob, and it was the end of the day. And we're like, should we just drive to Philly and go to see Van Halen? So it was a last minute decision. Bachman Turner overdrive opened and they were in, like they were a trio at that point and, and we didn't expect anything from them and they were great too. It was one of the still one of the loudest shows that I've ever seen. And I, you know I might get flack for saying this, you know, but I was uh I I was kind of in between with David Lee Roth. As much as I liked him and as much as I loved those records, I always felt kinda of like he was the weak link, you know, and I felt like <laughs> The melodies, you know, it'd be nice if they had a, a great singer. And then, you know, Sammy Hagar. And I just thought, well, that's a great combination too, you know. And over the years, you know, of course that changes. Like, of course I love the raw, daily raw stuff. But, you know, it's a long history with that band. And they went through a lot of changes too. So it was uh, easy to... I still, I don't have... I have a CD burn of Van Halen 3. But... uh I've probably listened to it once or twice. What's yeah. your opinion on that record? I I remember when it came out and I just, I was kind of indifferent towards it. I didn't dislike it. But like I said, when we did that yeah. that thing a couple years ago where we listened to all the albums and I listened to it again, like I really dug it. Like back when it okay. came out, I was excited I'm about it because I love Gary Sharon. I'm today because I haven't. Yeah. yeah. No, he's great. He's a great singer too. Yeah. It's just, you know. I mean, I thought it was a good fit because he's he's a he kind of draws when you hear his voice, he fits well with both both singers, you know. That's true. Yeah, he's got a Sammy thing for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, also, here's a funny story that happened to me a few years ago. Uh, I guess it would have been 2012. Um, I walk a lot and I write songs and I'm always walking on. I live close to Sunset Boulevard, so I always end up there at some point and. Uh, I was uh, walking past the Roxy one morning. It was around 10 o'clock in the morning and I heard uh, jamming and I stopped and I said, that sounds like Van Halen. It wasn't a Van Halen song that I knew they were just jamming. And I, you know, my ears was like, wow. And I, you know, I didn't investigate. I just kept moving. And then it turned out that they were uh, filming the tattoo video there that whole week and they would show up at 10 a.m. So I actually heard them jamming from outside and I recognize, I mean, obviously it's a pretty recognizable sound, you know, but 
it was pretty cool when I found that out. I was like, wow, it was Van Halen. <laughs> and, you know, just walking by in the morning, you don't know if it's, you know, a, a band playing or if it's, you know, just music coming through, whatever. But, uh, yeah, they, that's where they did that thing. And I guess they would just show up and set up and play. <laughs> I met him one time with, oh, with Scott Ian and Pearl. Yeah, that was cool too. We uh, we had a rehearsal at Mates in Burbank, and um, I pulled in, grabbed my amp. I was carrying my Marshall head, and I saw Scott standing in the doorway. And I walked up and I said, "Hey, Scott." He's like, "Oh, this is in our room. We're over there." And then I noticed that the other guy standing there with him was Eddie in his room. So that was Eddie's room. <laughs> he was trying out some amps or something. And so I didn't, that, when I first saw Eddie Van I just turned and just <laughs> went straight to the room like, holy shit, I didn't know what to do. And then we rehearsed and uh, he heard us playing from the outside and he said, I gotta come check you guys out. So he came by to visit and he was super nice. And the one guy in the band said uh, they were just um, starting to work with David Lee Roth. They were just starting to record different kind of truth. And there were all these murmurs in the air, like, you know, they're working on an album together, but nobody was sure. And one of the guys in the band said, uh, how's it going with the the record? He's like, I'm done. We're, we're done with the music. We're just waiting for, for David to write all the lyrics. And he goes, and let me tell you, this ain't no Bozdy Bozdy Bop shit. <laughs> That's an actual quote from Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know, that was in the first two minutes of him being in the room. And I thought, this guy's cool because he's not trying to hide anything. He's funny and he's, you know, he's not guarded. Like, he's he's not going to tell us some bullshit. He actually said that to us, you know. And uh, we got a quick photo and it was just whirlwind kind of. But I just remember, uh, you know, they said he just shows up there and tries out amps and stuff. He's been going to mates for years. Okay. But I uh, never met Alex. I wish I could meet Alex somewhere, but uh, he seems pretty private. Yeah. My eyes kind of wondering in the last couple of days, do you think we'll ever see Alex on stage again? Interesting. Because yeah. I mean, I can't also, really think I of say this too. Everybody talks about Eddie's guitar playing, which they should, but what a songwriter too. I mean, those songs, yeah, I mean, if he was a great guitar player that couldn't write songs, he'd probably be like a fusion guy or something, you know, like more jazzy. But he just had a handle on rock and roll riffs. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. They didn't invent themselves. I mean, he, you know, that music is him and his brother. And what a combo. Yeah. Um, man, <clears throat> that's a good question. I, you know, I've never seen him play with anybody else before. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, I can't think of a time where I've seen him do anything yeah, else. I mean, Eddie's jammed with people, and yeah, but I don't remember Alex. And, you know, maybe he'll go on tour with Wolfie. How about that? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, yeah, I mean, I've been, hopefully when Wolfie's album, you know, his solo album finally comes out, maybe there'll be some, maybe yeah. you got Eddie on a song or two, you know? Oh, right. That's true. I can't, I've been looking forward to hearing that record. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like. It's done. And we're going to record a bunch of covers at the same time, too, just for fun. A bunch of songs that we, uh, B-sides and things, and uh, Metal Blade asked us for some extra tunes. So we came up with a fun list of things and spent a couple days singing and 
doing guitar solos and then we'll get together and just, you know, do a day or two of jamming. Okay. We didn't pick a Van Halen one though, you know, that might change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess if, if you picked one, would you want it to be Sammy Aaron Ooh. or what do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> well, I'm sure I probably would be the only one. And, you know, don't get <laughs> yeah. me wrong. I love, I love those records so much. Maybe what it was for me is as a pop fan or, you know, even say like a, as much as I was into the Beatles and things when I was a kid, maybe the change from David to Sammy and Eddie's writing just impressed me a little more that he could even do that, that he could go from, you know, hot for teacher to love walks in or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. And again, one of the big reasons that I like 5150 is the drums. I mean, I know some of it's electronic t- stuff too, but he's just, what a pounder, like, you know, and it, you can only be brothers and understand each other that well. Like, yeah. I w- if I was Eddie Van Halen and, I, and my brother wasn't the drummer, you'd have a hard time finding a drummer that could, you know, play some of that stuff, like uh, all those little trick changes they do and, you know, Panama and all those crazy ones. Or the song 5150 uh, and Get Up on 5150 is, is crazy. I mean, I, <laughs> just to sit and play air drums is like, how's this guy do this? Yeah. So I hope... I hope that he, you know, does something. Yeah. Here, I got it. He can join Rush. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That'd be interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Except he got to write the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. The phenomenal and highly underrated Jim Wilson talking about Eddie Van Halen. A huge thank you to Jim for calling in, talking to me there for a bit about his thoughts on Eddie and Van Halen as a whole. Like I said, check out his EP Rocker's Delight. Check out Motor Sisters album Ride. Check out those Rollins Band's album he was on. Check out all those Mother Superior albums. Check out anything that you see the name Jim Wilson attached Ooh. to. I promise you, it's fucking great. Alright, next up, another name that has been a part of the music scene since the 80s, and that would be Robin McCauley. I believe he's the only person on this list that's not a guitarist, but he's still highly regarded, and he's played with some amazing guitarists. Yes. So this man this man can speak on somebody Van Halen. Robin McCauley, of course, is well known as being the vocalist for McCauley Shanker Group. Now, since about 2013... Michael Schenker started the Michael Schenker Fest, where he has brought back all his previous vocalists throughout the years. And Robin McCauley has been a part of that when they tour, and of course on the couple albums they've made. Robin McCauley also now has a band called Black Swan, put out their debut album earlier this year. And I think it's one of the best albums of 2020. That's a great record. That album features Reb Beach on guitar, who is another amazing guitarist that Robin talks about here in his talk. He also has been part of Rating the Rock Vault, which is a real popular show in Vegas. And he talks about how Van Halen plays a part of that and how important Jump is as a part of their their program that they do. 
So let's hear what Robin McCauley has to say about Eddie Van Halen. What what can you say that that uh, any words will make sense? Just just a tremendous, a tremendous loss with so much so much music still to give. You know, absolutely. Like I mean, you were yeah. you'd started not you know making albums not long after Van Halen came out. Did they have? Did Eddie or the band have any impact on you? At an early point, in well, your career? of course. I mean, I, I mean, I actually remember back to my Grand Prix days. Um, I remember the guys in Grand Prix would forever be playing Van Halen songs when it first came out, and 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 it was a big deal back in the UK, you know. And um, I remember running with the Devil when it came out first. Um, I remember the guitar player had a tough time trying to make out the lyrics that that David was singing, you know. He he always kept thinking that he would be singing, "My love is for Dio." My love is for Dio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember, it was a big, it was a big, it was a laughing point. Was because they're going, "What is he saying?" You know, <laughs> and that kind of it became it became a sort of a catchphrase in the band. You know, whenever we couldn't think of a lyric for a song, we go, "My love is for Dio." And I went, oh, Dio was a big part of big part of the Van Halen lyrics <laughs> yeah. in the beginning. Um, as a singer, I, I always remember, even to this day, thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, not least the fact that, you know, I worked with Michael Schenker for many years, but who who himself is, is, is a highly revered guitar player. But I used to think, you know, Eddie coming up with those riffs as a singer, what would I do? I would have no, I would never clue. You know, it must have been so <laughs> intimidating. And yet... They they turned out some of the most iconic, memorable songs from that era that that that, that continue to shine and, and 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 just stand out all by themselves today. So it just shows you the uh, the wealth of the man's talent. And of course, you know, reading more and more recently of how great a keyboard player he was. You know. Yeah. And and uh, I actually sent Jody a link that I hadn't actually seen before um, from about five years ago, where he's talking about is it rock and roll or reinventing? And he was doing an interview, and he really got into um, how his father and, and mother they went back to live in in uh, in Holland, and how mom insisted that him and Alex, you know train on classical piano and all of that sort of stuff. One of the funniest stories he told was that for about three years, three consecutive years, in the midst of about 500 other kids, participants, they they always got the number one slot for being the best. <laughs> and um, at one point, his, uh, his classical piano teacher um, dug up a new piece of music and he told Eddie to uh, stand with him at the piano and turn the pages at the appropriate uh, movement. And it came to the turning of the page, and Eddie did not turn the page because he openly admitted that he could not read music. He just had sight memory. So he would look at the instructor's hands, and he knew exactly what he was playing. So when he had to sort of take his turn, he had it memorized, and he could play it exactly like like his teacher. And so when the teacher started to play something new and was asking Eddie to turn the page, Eddie didn't know where it was on the sheet music because he couldn't read it. Wow. And he said the teacher was absolutely flabbergasted, you know? 
Yeah. And then, of course, it goes on to it goes on to his style of playing that 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 uh, that we all came to love and know over the years. And he said, you know, they didn't write cheap music; they they completely rewrote it in tablature form. And he said, I can't read that either. So <laughs> I can't tell you if what they've written down there that I'm supposed to have played is correct or not. So how interesting, huh? Yeah, absolutely. With Raiding the Rock Vault, did you guys did you guys cover Van Halen? Oh, yes. You know, yeah. uh, um, always a big, but we actually closed the show. We actually closed the show with Jump for okay. the last seven years. For the last seven years, you know. It's, uh, you know we had quite a... Quite a uh, quite a number of songs that we could we could choose but you know a jump was a big number one for them a lot of people say it was their least favorite but you know it's the one that everybody remembers you know um and and uh i mean i i just love the opening riff on, on you know let's talk about love i mean who doesn't know that right. we, we we chose or the producers chose uh uh, uh jump as the closer and reading the rock world used that for the last Seven years, of course, we, we don't work right now because of this 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 madness that continues, right. you know. And God knows when that when God knows when that will change. You know, with so many tours, it will end. I'm sure, like everything else ends. And we're very resilient as a human race, and we'll go forward. And the unfortunate thing is, we won't have Eddie Van Halen except in our memories to go forward with us. So there you have it. Right. You know? Well, throughout your career, so, did you ever play any shows with Van Halen? No, we did not. No, uh, I know Michael. Michael Schenker just posted a really nice tribute to him, and Michael would talk about it because Michael, Michael as a guitar player is is very particular about, you know, he's he's uh, something else. I remember just in the last few days reading about Eddie, he didn't really listen to other people's music. He wasn't really influenced by other people's music. Michael Schenker has always, in my experience with him has always been the same. He doesn't listen to another band. He goes, this is what we need to be doing. That's how I need to be playing. He's very much his own style. Um, and he would always talk very highly of, of Eddie, of, 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 of how, like everybody else, I mean, I'm not a guitar player, but for somebody like Michael, he would try to describe Eddie's style, you know, and, and, uh, and couldn't, other than the fact that it was Eddie Van Halen, but loved his melodies, Loved his songwriting, you know, and had met him a number of times, of course. And uh, you know, it was just uh, it was it was a cool dude, you know, he yeah. was a very cool dude. So um, you know, for one great guitar player, uh, uh, giving such high accolades to to him is 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 pretty awesome, um, and and so well deserved, of course. You know, I mean, God knows. <clears throat> Could we even count the the many how many guitar players he influenced? You know how many how many guitar players struggled to learn eruption because they felt that they had to to be as good as Eddie Van Halen right. <laughs> and, and and are they right and are they of course not you know but but you know it was kind of part of their training <laughs> if you will yeah. you know if I can play this I'm good <laughs> yeah right well you you mentioned yeah. you know Michael Schenker was you know, already established whenever Eddie came out, but another guy you play with, especially recently, Red Beach and Black Swan is more, his style oh, is more akin God. to Eddie. Like, what do you hear from him that might be 
something that he picked up from Eddie. Yeah, he, he actually posted immediately. He said he was in the studio working with, with Kip. And when, when they received the news, and he says he just couldn't work for the rest of the day. He just stopped doing what he was doing. It just, he was so devastated by the news. And he posted it uh, and was making a comment like, this can't be true. It just can't be true. And he goes, I'm, I'm just worthless. I'm not able to do anything now. And uh, working with Rev, um, which was huge for me, um, that man has, he's so talented. His, his depth of melody is just absolutely tremendous. Um, great songwriting. And uh, now we have something like this, you know. I think guitar players like Rev, etc., will uh, will carry the Eddie flag for as long as they can uh, with honor, as opposed to you know trying to to go. Okay, I'm the new Eddie Van Halen. I don't think you'll ever see anything like that. Um, and and I hope they they continue to 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 fly the the Eddie Van Halen flag because I don't know will we ever see anybody like that again, you know. Long live Eddie Van Halen. Long live Eddie Van Halen. It'll be interesting to see what happens at this point. You know, there was so much talk about uh, Sammy coming back to do something. I know David uh, started his sort of Vegas-style show also and and was doing some shows with with Kiss. So um, we'll see what happens at this point. I'm sure there'll be lots of... uh, tributes paid to him as, as, the, as the months continue. And, and, and of course, the fact that, you know, we are restricted regarding live work, but I'm sure, I'm sure something will be, will be planned. There you go, Robin McCauley of Black Swan, McCauley Schenker Group, Michael Schenker Fest. A huge thank you to Robin for taking some time there to talk about Eddie. And of course, a big thank you to Jody Best of Best Bat Promotions for helping us set that one up. Talking to Robin, he also mentioned outside of that Eddie Van Halen stuff that he has a solo album in the works and Black Swan's already working on their next album. They're, right. they're in the writing phase for their next album. So, But he said that'll probably be a little bit because Reb Beach is in the middle of working on the new Winger album. I see, I see. But regardless, getting new music from all those bands in the coming year or two will be great. So once again, check out Robin McCauley's Episode he was on 255, I believe that was about the beginning of the year of 2020, before we knew what would happen this year. Right. <laughs> and also check out the black the debut album from Black Swarm. All right, next up is Eddie Valise of King, the vocalist and guitarist for King, a three-piece band I guess you could describe as stoner rock, groove rock, whatever you want to call it. Eddie Valise is a phenomenal vocalist and a great guitarist as well. This band, I, I, I know a lot of people know him, but then also a lot of people don't. And I think, I hope that as time goes on, they turn from one of those underrated bands to a household name. Definitely. And I mean, I know, I don't know if they've ever announced a replacement for Tony, the bass player, but as we, as you'll hear in this thing, and I know that you've stated the drummer Pepe is phenomenal as well. Yeah. And he, Eddie, of course, talks about that here coming up in a manner related to Van Halen. So let's just jump into it. Here's Eddie Valise of King. Earliest memory, you know, a very vivid, and it's not really an impact of, it was just the band as an influence throughout where I grew up, you know? 
no matter where you look, when, when Van Halen uh, 1984 came out, uh, I mean, I was a kid. I was like a young, young dude. I was like three or four. And I had this very vivid memory of everybody wearing, you know, Van Halen t-shirt or had, they had the record. Everyone was super stoked because that just come out, you know? And, uh, for some odd reason, I have this, every time I think of Van Halen, it's funny. And, and this is a side note. Uh, I always, I always remember this kid who came out of a Seven Eleven, uh, and, uh, he saw a, a GT on the floor and he said, uh, it was parked outside his bike, this bicycle. And he goes, this is my bike. And he just jumped on it and stole it. Well, he had a, he had a Van Halen shirt on. That's the only thing I could really remember. <laughs> I was, like, yeah. I was like, dude, they just stole this guy's bike. He had the Van Halen shirt on. You know, that's all. That's all I can remember. But uh, man, I don't know, dude. Van Halen was was uh, was just one of those bands because I grew up in Los Angeles, East LA, at that. So we were fairly close to Pasadena. So you kind of knew, you know, there's all this stuff that you know well, Van Halen played here, and they used to jam out in my uncle's backyard, and you know they're called Mammoth and the whole thing. But you know, there's always this. You always kind of searched out you know van halen and uh you took a listen you know when i finally when my ears developed enough to know what music actually was and i got to hear van halen you know uh eddie van halen his guitar playing was just outrageous it was it was one of those things you know especially at that time he was such an iconic player such an uh, an iconic band that they were up there with like Coca-Cola and Disneyland and Michael Jackson and Van fucking Halen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they were there. They were like that iconic in California in the United States to us, you know? So you couldn't go anywhere without a, a, you know, hearing a Van Halen influence in Los Angeles for a minute. Yeah. Right. Was uh, when you started playing guitar, did you, were you influenced by him at all? Or were you kind of going in the other direction early on? Uh, you know, there's, there's a handful of characters, you know, when you, when you start learning how to play guitar, I want myself at least, you know, you, you kind of work with what your ability is, you know? Right. So you start off, you, you, you want to play like Eddie Van. I, there was years before I even attempted anything that Eddie Van Halen did. You know, I was just that like, you know, man, I'm never going to play anything like that. Look at the, listen to that. How the hell does it sound like that? How the hell, how the hell did he do that? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> you fuck off and you do tapping. You know, everybody does a tap, but not like Eddie Van Halen. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody, oh, yeah, check this out. And you go, you know, do this little open thing on the 12 and the 5 and the, and the, and the 7, you know. And it sounds like a tap that Eddie Van Halen, you know, may have, you know, fucked off to, but. <laughs> nothing like he actually played you know the stuff that he actually played you're just like holy crap you know like where does it even start where does it end where do you go and the timing was always weird it was it was stressed you know we, we did this thing we do uh every now and again and it became a staple for a minute we do hot for teacher king would do hot for teacher right and uh people ask about it all the time and, and that was kind of one of my first attempts at really trying to trying to play a song all the way through but, you know, because I learned like a bit of eruption and I learned little bits of Spanish fly and, you know, um, Little Dreamer and Janie's Crying, all those songs. You always kind of just play the riff, you know, yeah, I'll take it out. Um, but never went all the way through with it, you know, and we got 
bought up to do uh, this Harley Davidson, like 50 anniversary Harley Davidson thing in Wisconsin. And at that time, I think we only had an album worth of music, you know? So we're like, oh, we need to, we need to play an hour. And they're like, well, we should do something. We all kind of thought about it. And we're like, yeah, Black Sabbath. If we do a Sabbath song, it's a little redundant for us. We always, you know, we love Sabbath. We always do Sabbath stuff. And we're like, well, let's try to do a Soundgarden tune, you know? And you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like a given. You know, what's something weird that everybody would be like, why the fuck are those dudes playing? What are they playing, you know? We're like, let's just try to shoot for Hot for Teacher. You know, and every time it creates a big old, you know, we're, you know, if you're familiar with our music, you know, we're no, nothing like Van Halen, you know, so we're like, fuck it, let's just try to do Hop for Teacher. And uh, we gave ourselves a week, you know, it's like, all right, well, who, I'm going to have to fucking play this shit, you know, and sing it at the same time. And I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, David Lee Roth, he comes in, it's very strange. Like, he's like, it's all like that's wild you know it's like a fucking madman singing you know yeah and then the preciseness of eddie van halen so i had it i was trying to do both and i just gave up i'm like you know i'm just gonna fucking do it as close as i possibly can because these are two really hard parts to play you know um so uh we gave ourselves a week that first week we're like let's try it and see where we are and we started on monday and by the time friday came along we were right in the vicinity. We're like, well, this is kind of cool. Let's just try it. You know, so it took all of us about a week just to even wrap our heads around doing a good version of it. You know, something that we could, we could say like, yeah, we do this song and it's pretty badass." you know? Yeah. Um, and we did it and people were just like blown away. You know, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, very cool, uh, uh, stories just by playing that song. You know, we did a, we did a song, uh, we did a the the Gas Monkey in Dallas. You know, right. And this was before we did any touring with with Hell Yeah or Vinnie Paul, and uh, I forget who who we were out with, but it was a fairly big show, and uh, everyone was like, oh, well, Vinnie Paul's gonna be here. Vinnie Paul's were like, wow, that'd be awesome. You know, Vinnie Vinnie Paul comes out. So we're on stage, we're jamming, we're playing, and then you know the the side, you know, some off stage was like, "Hey, Vinny Paul's here, do fucking hop for teacher," and we're like, "Oh yeah, let's do it." We look, <laughs> we see Vinny, we start playing the song, and I could see him in the corner of my eye. He's kind of he was kind of by himself in this fucking at this place. Crack through it, finish the song, finish our set, get all our gear off, and he's Vinny Paul. He's just standing right there. And I walk up to him, hey, Vin, how are you, man? Nice to meet you. And he's just like, oh, hot for teacher, huh? That's a good one. That's a good one. Me, me and my brother used to play that song all the time, man. You, you guys did good. <laughs> and that was it. Like, that's all he said. And I was like, wow, dude, he fucking blew my mind. You know, like, <laughs> just that little minute of him saying, yeah. And it was kind of cool because it put him in a, in, a, in a spot where he was very reminiscent. You know, like, me and my brother used to play that song all the time, you know. Absolutely. And I was just like, man. <laughs> Very cool little 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 story for me, and it was just like uh, a minute in my life, and it meant it meant the world to me, you know. And I got a big old hug from him, and you know, about a year later, I think we we did our our tour with them, you know, with Hell Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Was that the first say? The, so the very first time you guys played Hoffer Teacher live, was it pretty nervous, like getting up there and playing that in front of people, or were you confident at that yeah. point after? We- <laughs> We were, you know, there was this weird thing, uh, Hot for Teacher, that in the in the, the solo itself, uh, well, first and foremost, you know, Pepe, my drummer, he uh, he nailed that 
the that drum section, that open part, you know, the yeah. where it sounds like a motorcycle or a muffler or something, you know, going off. <laughs> you know, he did that and he does the both parts. That's another cool story about Vinnie Paul. Um when my drummer came through the back but he he uh in in backstage, uh Vinnie Paul kind of pulled him aside. He's like, Hey man, he's like, I never really heard anybody do both parts. Like both parts, like that's cool. And so there's always that that nobody really knows how Alex Van Halen recorded that. He's like, oh, well, it's two drum parts. And everyone's like, no, it's just one drum part. And then I heard, you know, some dudes talking about how, like, no, that was Eddie Van Halen's muffler. And they, they recorded it. And it was like a whole thing. Or, like, it's just a whole <laughs> folklore about it. And I was like, well, you know, my drummer can do both parts, you know. So uh, that's it's a very cool thing for us. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it was it, it's always like a tightrope act, you know, because there is every time every time King plays, it's a tightrope act because it's just only three of us and we're trying to put out so much sound and we're playing so many different fucking things we're like overplaying, but trying to underplay it, you know, overplaying by underselling. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so when we're trying to do something like Hot for Teacher, it, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, especially it, it was tough when we were doing that solo, you know, that, yeah, there's a whole part. Yeah. Um, that coming out of that section coming out of that solo always threw us off because there's this weird snare roll that kind of jumps out of nowhere it's like so we would always kind of fuck that and eventually it kind of locked and we were like oh it's like waiting for that you know waiting for that knuckleball you know you got to wait for that pitch just wait for it wait for it pow and then you get the home run you know but <laughs> it was always eluding us. I'd either I'd either fuck it up, or the or Tony, my bass player at the time, would fuck it up, or somebody. We'd always fuck up that one section. Um, but eventually we fell in line, and and now we nail it every fucking time we do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, uh, that that's the only part that really. But we never really tried anything else. You know, we we, we didn't really stretch the the boundaries. Like once we got there, we were pretty okay. We we're like, man, we did it, and it's cool, and people asked for it, so let's yeah. let's not break it. <laughs> you know, let's not do anything else. Right. Uh, because again, you know, I, I told my buddy Jim Rota of, uh, he plays in a band called Fireball Ministry. I've known him for a minute. Right. Uh, he actually did our second record, produced our second record. Um, you know, I was like, man, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was like 15. I'm 40 now, you know? So, um, it's like, I got this far by literally honing in on two or three of Eddie Van Halen's tricks. You know, it's like you you can only steal from the the masters, you know, and, and I can only do so much. Like I, my tapping sucks. I'm not great at it. You know, I, I, you know, my shreddability is okay at best, you know? Uh, but there's this thing that I, that I always kind of followed where, you know, he, he would do all that natural harmonic stuff, you know, and, then all of a sudden you hear him doing these like weird harmonics over chords, you know, I'm like, well, how the fuck is he doing that? You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's doing all these crazy, I was like, how the fuck is he getting these natural harmonics? And I'm trying to do it like pinch harmonics and trying to do all this other shit and just not working. And then I realized the simplicity of him fretting a chord, you know, and then just, climbing up to the 12 of whatever chord he's in you know uh and just tapping away as you would a natural harmonic over an open e on the 12th fret you know gotcha blew my mind like, <laughs> how in the fuck do you think of that like 
holy and no one's doing that nobody did that until he did it you know really yeah. and then once he did all that and once he did all that stuff the tapping the the harmonics the the dive bombs and all that stuff and then all of a sudden everybody was like okay i need to play like that you know and then you had all these other bands that get pretty close but not fucking evh right <laughs> well besides say hot for teacher what's kind of like what would be your go-to if you're like if you're going to listen to Van Halen right now. Oh man. You know, I went in, I went into this, uh, uh, very early on in my younger years, I would just listen to literally diver down all the time. Uh, Van Halen two all the time. Uh, just it, it, most of the Roth years, you know, my girl, she really likes all the, all the Hagar stuff. I guess it reminds her of her family. <laughs> but I'm like, no, David Lee Roth, man. <laughs> um, uh yeah man you know it's funny one of my favorite songs one of my favorite of all times what is it uh um god it's, the name escapes me right now it's the one where 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 eddie van halen's dad played the oboe uh big bad will oh, yeah. big, 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 sweet william now big bad bill yeah. up that floor big bad bill yeah that's one of my favorites i'll always go back and listen to that just especially you know, even the, the oboe solo itself, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I think I read somewhere that his dad did the solo, yeah. you know, just him playing. If you go back and listen to that, it's kind of amazing, you know, where he's sticking these notes and, you know, all this, the open, you know, where he's not playing notes and where the breaths are and all that. It's just so fucking perfect. And you're like, oh, wow, there's the lineage, you know, like that's probably where they got it all from because that dude seemed like he played really well in that song. So I'm assuming his son did, you know, just took it that extra uh, alien-like playing ability to his music, you know. There you go. Eddie Veliz of King. He was with us on episode 96. That's been now, what, probably three years ago now. We need to get him back, him or Pepe, you know, for a full-on interview. Right. Because it's been a while. Yes, it has. To see what the band's future plans are, because I hope it's something. You remember when we had him on and he sang, sang to us? I know that was great. Yeah, yeah, I fanboyed out. Yeah, Not he just like jumped in the van and lay down. Right, did the interview laying down. It's like, hey, whatever works, you know. Stay you, comfy. You've been driving all day. You deserve to lay down. But yeah, check out episode ninety six with Eddie. And if you're not familiar with King, check out their albums. They are some great stuff. K Y N G. That's right. Oh yeah, I should say that. So don't don't type in the regular spelling of King. All right, next up, we've got Mike Ariza. Mike Ariza has been on this podcast a few times. Yes, he's a great guitarist from the band Healing the Fray, and he was also part of the Frank Hannon band for a bit when they did the Six String Soldiers tour and album. That album's phenomenal, by the way. So check that out if you haven't. Healing the Phrase debut full-length album came out earlier this year. They also had an EP come out a couple years ago. So check out all that. Mike was on here on episode way back, episode 12. I believe Mike might be the first person we ever had on this podcast that we didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, I didn't look, but I think that's right. Right. So there's a little bit of history and significance there from Mike on our podcast. He was also... After episode 12, he was on episode 74, and then again more recently, earlier this year, episode 271, and both of those, he was joined by Jeff Sandoval, who's the vocalist 
for Healing the Fray, and he was the vocalist for Frank Hannon Band during that same period. And his vocals are phenomenal as well. Great stuff. Yeah. So check out that 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 Healing the Fray album. It's just great, beautiful rock and roll. I promise you, you love Van Halen. You will love Healing the Fray. So let's jump into this and hear what Mike Ariza has to say. I, I put out a social media post the day that he passed that he made the guitar electric, you know, um, and there never has been or will there ever be anybody else to do that to the instrument and just change the world. I mean, just period. The showmanship of it, the riffs, the writing, the piano playing, that smirk that he had, right? Yeah. You know, I'll never forget, I was uh, <clears throat> playing baseball, and uh, gosh, it must have been, what, third, fourth grade, something like that, and um, the guy that was the pitcher was a really good friend of mine, you know, and his mom and my mom were, you know, team moms, and so, you know, it was after a baseball game, and we went to his older cousins, and we went to the basement, and we were listening to Kiss records. When he came down the stairs, <clears throat> he's like, I don't mind you guys playing these. He's older. He's like, but these are collectors, so be careful. And then uh, he's like, do you want to hear something cool? And I heard Eruption for the first time. And it was just like, oh, my God, what is this? It sounded so big, so massive, and just like something I'd never heard in my entire life. And um, that moment forever changed my life like it did everybody else. You know, in fact, my very first guitar <clears throat> that uh, my parents purchased me was a Hondo. I don't know, you know, the guitar players that grew up, you know, and back at that time, I remember it was a Hondo Stratocaster, but it was painted uh, to replicate Van Halen. <clears throat> and uh, I had to have it. And um, my mom still has a Polaroid of me with it. And... Um, and I mean, that was the impact. Like I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. I, you know, I wanted to be like a combination of Eddie Van Halen and Paul Stanley and Ace Frehley and Angus Young. But although everybody else mentioned in that were great, um, Eddie Van Halen was Eddie Van Halen, you know. And then as I got older as a musician and got more into the guitar, you know, uh, 1984 came out. And then the, you know, the, honestly, the early Van Halen undoubtedly is just, you know, epic. But for me, <clears throat> excuse me, when OU812 came out, um, his style changing, he had Sammy Hagar and the, the growth of him as a songwriter, uh, 5150 is honestly probably one of my favorite Van Halen albums from, you know, from, uh, from front to back. In fact, I have it on my turntable right now. Um, everybody knows that I play Saldana amplifiers. Well, there was a rumor, you know, back then the Live Without a Nate, uh, excuse me, Live Without a Net, that, you know, on that tour that Eddie was taking the Saldano rig with him. And I saw a picture of Eddie Van Halen in a magazine sitting in a studio and he had two Saldanas behind him, and I had to have one. <laughs> so I, once again, back to Impact, uh, I 
all these years later, I still have that Saldano that I bought in 1992. And I have the other ones as well um, because of that picture, right? Uh, and everybody was buying, you know, just like everybody bought those Plexi Marshalls and were, you know, trying to do the circuitry stuff, um, keeping them clean, running them low power like Eddie did. I bought the Saldano. And, um, man, I could just, I could go on forever on the impact that Eddie Van Halen had to me as an artist, as a guitar player, um, as, and as, as a songwriter. One thing that I'd really like to talk about, and I know we're limited on time, is yes, the leads and all that, but man, if you go back and if you really listen to the riffs, you know, um, I mean, he was he was tuning down, you know, in rock music before everybody else that I know of. It made it sound cool. Unchained. I mean, that riff, are you kidding me? Right? Uh, dirty movies. You know, just so greasy and heavy. Um, I mean, you would be hard-pressed to not find somebody that was influenced by Ada Van Halen. And then, you know, him on Beat It, right? And just, he was just that unprecedented, you know, just doing things that nobody else could. And, um, I, I spent like uh, a greater part of last night and today just looking at all the tributes from all of the great fans and artists all over the world, man. I mean, he touched everybody. Everybody knows who Eddie Van Halen is. And the people in the industry always highlighted from what I've seen so far, how great of a person he was. And, um, you know, seeing some of the snaps and the images and short video clips of him as a father, uh, being a father myself really speaks to me now. Um, I know that was long winded, but man, I just, you know, like Prince, I think we all took Eddie Van Halen for granted, um, a little and, you know, and, um, I told uh, Jeff Sandoval, my brother, I, I was so heartbroken. I was like, and I, did, <laughs> and this is no disrespect to anybody. I was like, dude, the electric guitars has has passed away with Eddie. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. Did you get a chance to see Van Halen live? You know, I did not. It was um, they came to Albuquerque uh, for 1984. And my brother was going to take me and there's, you know, my parents and this and that. And, um, and there were some times when, uh, that later after that, um, believe it or not, there was a period of my life where, you know, I was a young father. Um, and I was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was busy trying to, you know, support my, my son uh, at that time. And I didn't, you know, just the concerts wasn't a thing for me back then. So that's right, gets even stabilized, which is you know more important. I regret it, but um, you know the uh, uh, the impact that those records had um, probably outweigh um, seeing a concert to me. Um, you know, one other memory that just popped into my head was um, I was never a good student in school, and every year I had to do summer school, and by like the third time, my uh, my mom was like, "I've had it." She's like, "You're gonna, you're taking your ass to summer school yourself." And I used to ride um, at a Harlow Sport, 
and I used to ride it, you know, um, about four miles to go to school in the summer. And that summer, you know, when the Walkman was out, I would have enough batteries to make it there and make it back. And in, you know, only had enough room for one tape. And that tape was, uh, 1984. Wow. <laughs> you know, and just, you know, uh, and, uh, my, one of my favorite riffs from that album is Drop Dead Legs. You know, um, in fact, um, I did a, uh, we did a song with Frank Cannon on the Six String Soldiers album. And the name of the song is called Lipstick Smoking Gasoline. If you listen to the tail end of Drop Dead Legs, you can kind of hear how I inverted that riff, um, you know, because once again, that influence, you know, um, a lot of the songs that I've written on with the, with what we've evolved into now is healing the fray are tuned down and drop D and it's that influence of, you know, Eddie, like doing the unchained and stuff like that. It's just so beefy. Uh, every guitar player will do this. If you, if you want to see if an amp has quote unquote it, you're going to play that riff from unchained, um, or any Van Halen riff. Um, you know, they call it uh, the Brown sound, you know, um, not only did he lead as a, a guitarist, a performer, and uh, a songwriter, and a piano player, but he also led in technology and was an amazing, uh, brilliant branding, uh, you know, mindset. You know, the the EVH brand, you know, he started to deal with PV and Kramer, building his own guitars. I mean, the guy was just, the guy was a guitar player, you know? Um, and I think now we should reflect back and, um, look at the, how organic he was with the instrument. And we've gotten lazy, uh, uh, myself included with plugins and, you know, the, the fractal audios and the camper. I mean, those are cool and stuff like that, but I mean, this guy was, you know, Eddie Van Halen built his own guitar and had the most basic amp that anybody could play unmodded and was Eddie Van Halen, you know, and there's not a whole lot of people that can do that. That's why there's always has been, and will always only be one Eddie Van Halen. And that's why, you know, no disrespect to my fellow six string soldiers out there, the guitar players, but part of me feels like the guitar um, is resting with as a craft, (laughs) you know, is resting with Eddie Van Halen because who can top that? Nobody. There you go, Mike Ariza of Healing the Fray and Frank Hannon Band. Always love talking to Mike. He is a very well-spoken guy, and I believe, you know, when you talk to him, you can tell he's an extremely intelligent guy. Love talking to him about everything we've talked to him about in the past, and of course, right now, talking about Eddie. So once again, check out Healing the Fray. If you're not familiar with them, check out Frank Hannon Band's album, Six String Soldiers. Tear Mike on that album as well. Huge thank you to Mike for taking the time here. All right, next up, this one's pretty cool. Right. This was kind of surprising because this interview just kind of came together pretty quick. And yeah. actually the week after Eddie passed this last week. Actually, it was just a couple of days, I think, after, maybe it was two weeks ago now. Regardless, we set up this album with Paige Hamilton because he's a guy I know I've wanted to get on here since the beginning, and I'm sure you have as well. 
of course. Front man for Helmet. Going back to our love for that mid-90s kind of dirty stonery rock and roll. I wouldn't say that they're a stoner rock band, but they kind of, you know, get lumped in those categories with COC and Prong and the like, you know? Right. Paige Hamilton has a full, has not been on this podcast previously, but there is a full-on episode with him coming here in the next few weeks. That is a good lengthy one. Almost an hour. Yes, yes. And he talks about all kinds of stuff. And one of those things being Eddie Van Halen. So let's hear what Paige Hamilton of Helmet has to say. Uh, ain't talking about love, you know. I, I mean, I'm the, I mean that I just the the groove on that. It's like this fucking old time rock and roll meets modern something, you know. And it stands the test of time. I love. I mean, I love. It's so funny when we were um, working with Steve Albini over in Chicago at Chicago Recording Company. It's where we recorded. Um, the demo of In the Meantime, which became the master on the album, because we I always thought the demo was better than what we did the, uh, in New York at the studio. Then um, we did a song called Rock Messiah and I think FBLA 2 or something like that. Um, there were they, a handful of recordings. Anyway, we were staying at Steve's and we were in the driving to the studio and I said something about um, uh, Panama and uh, Albini goes, I don't like bad music. And I was just like... <laughs> Excuse me, like <laughs> what you know, and this this kind of attitude of our indie world, you know, touch and go, am rep, um, SST, Homestead, whatever that that um, something because something had had a had some kind of cock rock attitude to it that it wasn't cool because David Lee Roth wore like fringe pants. I don't know what the what people's thinking was. I always base my my uh, love or not love of music on the music i it's i'm a jazz nerd and i didn't know what they look like on stage i drop the needle i listen to it and i go yay or nay and do as duke ellington said there are two kinds of music good and bad yeah. and um and and everyone has an opinion everyone you know like uh anyone can think whatever they want but people have to realize those are their own biases and uh, my old drummer didn't like Hendrix, and I gave him Axis Bold as Love, and he's like, "Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought," you know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, do you, people don't realize that that's a shortcoming in their musical fabric? Okay, that's not the fault of Hendrix. That's not the f- fault of Van Halen. There's no denying the brilliance. Okay, I'm sorry. There, it's just we. The first time I heard that. I, I just, I, you know, it was the same thing as um, uh, ACDC where my jaw dropped. And I'm like, it just had this sound, this, the, I mean, you know, I mean, everything, every, the way the whole thing was put together, bass, drums, guitar, vocals, that was just completely different from anything that I'd ever heard before. And just, and I realized right then and there, well, I'll never be able to do that. You know, like that's. <laughs> That's it's not it wasn't one of my musical goals to become to play like Eddie. I have a different thing. That's my vocabulary. But I just said, you know, even if I tried for a year and worked on that, I would just never be able to do that. It's so, so incredibly uh, fluid. You know, it's like water uh, flowing over over moss covered stones in a river. It's this it's beyond the guitar. 
right? It's music that is like it takes you to this place. You're in this song, and here's this cool groove, whatever, and and all of a sudden this guitar comes in, and it's this it's this like you know I want to like describe it as a you know pterodactyl, like a prehistoric beast or some kind of flock of birds or something. Like what is that? It's not just a guitar because it's it's uh it's a magical fucking amazing thing and i and i i've never disparaged something like that that i didn't because i didn't understand it you know what i mean and i always say to musicians that's your that's a you know as i say that's a that's you have a shortcoming and that's fine you know you can you can maintain your stubbornness and and not experience this joy but like i choose to experience this joy you know it's like um, so yeah, fucking a man. Like what a what a what a dude. Like you know, it's just the perfect perfect setting. A friend of mine has sent me Hot for Teacher um, that night when he passed, and I hadn't seen the video in about a million years. <laughs> it's like maybe the greatest music rock, MTV music video ever made. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's such a fucking sick fucking song. I mean, just like the drum part the fucking the whole thing you know the lyrics the whole it's just like what that was that that was that's something else man that was a that's a that's a great loss it's just it's just sad you know i never got to see him it's my fault it's completely my fault i I miss johnny cash i miss john lee hooker i miss i miss van halen um it's my fault completely i miss led zeppelin it's not my fault but (laughs) right there you go Paige hamilton of helmet a huge thank you to brian from Main Road Management for helping set that one up. And like I mentioned earlier, a full episode from Paige Hamilton talking about all kinds of great stuff from Helmet and everything else coming up here pretty soon, so be on the lookout for that. All right, next up, we've got Tyler Bryant. Tyler Bryant, of course, is the singer and guitarist for Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. This band... Is relatively new compared to a lot of the bands we've had on here. They've had, this was their third album, I think, that just came out here. It actually just came out Friday. That's great. Three days ago, three or four days ago. Yeah, like Jason said, pressure. It's fantastic. Yes, it is. Bluesy, rocky, all kinds of great stuff. Tyler Bryant is a newer guy on the scene, but he definitely is a force to be reckoned with, and I think he... Tyler Bryant's one of those names that if we were doing a podcast in 2050, people will still be talking about him. So get on the Tyler Bryant and Shakedown train if you're not. Let's check this out. Here's Tyler Bryant talking about Eddie Van Halen. Oh, man, yeah. Eddie meant, Eddie meant a, a, a great deal to me. Um, my first guitar as a child was a children's version of the Frankenstein Strat, okay. you know, a little mini version. And, uh, as I as I got older and started getting into Van Halen, it was he he became one of those guitar heroes that seemed longer than life to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's just there's never been anyone else to do it like that before. So I just keep I just keep thinking like, yeah, I feel lucky that I was alive at the same time as him. Yeah. Was well, you know someone that's more you know the shakedowns more blues based in your style? Like, what do you think? you might do when you're playing now that was directly influenced by what Eddie brought along, even though he was more of kind of a shredder. Well, I mean, there's certain things that I've, uh, you know, there's, there's like a couple of little things that, that he, that he would do with the finger tapping to where it wasn't like the, the really fast finger tapping, like a lot of people know him for. Um, he, he was able to do these like one, one tap 
licks that would almost make the guitar sound like a slide. Um, and so, I mean, that's something I've been, I stole that from him a long time ago, which I'm not, I think he might've gotten that from Billy Gibbons. I'm not sure, but you know, there's, there's, there are little things in my playing that I've learned from watching Eddie Van Halen videos over the years, um, that I'll just keep doing, you know, and, and just, you know, I just think about him a little more when I do it now. What's your, like, what's your favorite song or riff or anything from Eddie? I don't know. It's probably, uh, I really do like uh, Ice Cream Man. Yeah. But this is like on one of their last records, there was a song called As Is. And it had this heavy, heavy, low tuned riff. Um, and that's the thing, is he, like, even like on their last records, he was still just crushing it. Yeah. Did Did you ever get a chance to see him live? No, I did not. But I wish I I wish that I would have. Yeah. Did I, you? Yeah, but it's been back. I saw him on the Balance Tour in '96. How was it? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I was I kind of came up in that you know era where I was a bigger fan of the Hagar era than I was the early stuff, and then as I got older, I you know it's it's pretty even now, but you know, to be able to see that tour, I, I love that album. And I just think it's so underrated and underappreciated. So I'm glad I got to see that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. We got to, we got to work with this producer, Andy Johns, um, who did the, uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge record. And he had some great, great stories. And, uh, but yeah, that's, but that's the thing is like, I, 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 I never really got, picked a picked a side where where it was like David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar because to me I was just like Eddie was he was that band. Like both of those frontmen and singers and you know, those guys, those guys are insane and they're bringing so much to the table in very different ways. But for me it was like cool, if Eddie's there, I'm there. I'm 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 for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There you go, Tyler Bryant of Tyler Bryant and Shakedown. Huge thank you to Tyler for taking some time out there. And also a huge thank you to John Freeman from Freeman Promotions for helping with that one. We've got a full episode with Tyler coming up here in the coming weeks as well, talking about the new album Pressure, which, like we said, is great. So check that out. It just came out this past week. I promise if you love some rock and roll, you're going to love Tyler Bryan and Shakedown. Oh, yeah. All right. This will be the final guest we have. Can you believe it? We've made it this far. We made it through the list, man. Yeah. Man. And we're getting heavy again. Yeah. We kicked this. Hey, I didn't even think about that. The way line is up. We bookend this bookend with, it, yeah. with some heavy stuff. We started with Battlecross. Sandwiched with heaviness. Yeah. My favorite. <laughs> and we're ending with Devil Driver. Mike Spritzer is the guitarist for Devil Driver. Long ass time now. 16 years. And he's got a few things to say about Eddie. We recorded... A full episode with him this past week. And of course, towards the end of it, we talked about Eddie. And we got that here for you now. So here's Mike Spritzer of Devil Driver talking about Eddie Van Halen. Of course. You know, my oldest brother and sister uh, were teenagers in the 80s. And, you know, I, I was born in 81. So I was pretty young. And luckily they were watching, I'm sure they had a big influence on me as a kid getting into music because they were watching MTV and, you know, we only had one TV back then in the house. And 
So I was watching MTV with them because, you know, my older brother and sister, they were, they were super cool to me. And, um, you know, the, my sister definitely listened to Van Halen quite a bit. And, you know, just, I was, I would never consider myself a huge Van Halen fan, but I mean, you can't deny the guy's guitar playing. I mean, it is just so incredible. And, Eddie has had more of an influence on me just because of the, his guitar tone and the amps that he helped design back in the day. You know, uh, the PV5150 block letter, which I believe was the first amp that um, came out that he put his name on. I mean, I still use it. We just, you know, I, like, you know, we use it a lot on dealing with demons. It's a fantastic sounding amp, you know, and, um, I would say that's where he's influenced me the most rather than writing. It's just straight guitar tone. And uh, I did get to meet him once. Um, I never got to see him live, but I did get to meet him briefly. One of my uh, good friends is the senior photographer for Guitar Center. And at the time, my my girlfriend at the time was doing hair and makeup for all those photo sessions. So I tagged along one day and, you know, when uh, they were shooting uh, Eddie and you know, I got to meet him and hang out with him very briefly. He was, he was super cool. He was super pro, really nice guy. And uh, you know, I'm very bummed that I'd never got to see him live, but I uh, am thankful that I got to meet him in person at least once. Well, I mean, you kind of mentioned it with the, with the amps and the tone, like what do you think impact he might've had on you or like anyone in like heavier music, like devil driver is because most people just talk about the shredding or the, you know, the party vibe of Van Halen. I don't think he, you know, I don't think anyone in devil driver has ever been a massive Van Halen fan. So I, as far as writing goes, I don't think that he's had a massive in any or almost any kind of influence on us directly, but Eddie had so much influence on other people, you know, like Jerry Cantrell was, a, you know, Eddie was a big inspiration for Jerry and also Dimebag as well. And Jerry is one of my, it probably is my all time favorite guitar player. And so there's definitely an indirect influence on me that, you know, Eddie channeling through Jerry and then channeling through me. So, I mean, Eddie has influenced everyone. He's kind of like Genghis Khan, you know? They say that, like, one out of every five people in the world is somehow related to Genghis Khan because he, he just had so many children over his lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like Eddie is the Genghis Khan of the guitar world. He's just like, if you play guitar, you know, somehow he's had some influence on you, either directly or indirectly. There you go, Mike Spritzer, guitarist of Devil Driver. A huge thank you to him for talking to us there about Eddie. And like I said earlier, we've got a full episode with him coming up soon. Big thank you to John Freeman of Freeman Promotions for helping put that one together. All right. 14 guests. We did it. Yeah, if you're still here, we appreciate it. I hope you're still here. That was an extravaganza, but yeah. it needed to happen because, I mean, it was um a sad but gigantic event. So yeah, we didn't. I didn't mention up front, like I meant to, that I haven't 
timed out this yet, but I know with what we've said and what 14 guests said that this will likely probably be the longest episode we've ever had. Right. Because well, I know we've had... This will be one for it. Yeah. It's deservedly. Yes. We've had a few that were long. I remember one with W Adore. Or no, it was Claim Your Enemy after they changed the name. Mm-hmm. That one was over two hours, and then we had one with Andy Papadopoulos, which was over two hours. And then our one with Sid Falk, formerly of Overkill, would have probably been longer than this one, but we broke it up into two, yes, part yes. one and part two. But I didn't want to do that with this. I'm like, let's just put all this together. Yeah. Because if you're an Eddie Van Halen fan, I think it's cool, you know, to hear what 14 musicians and you know that are in the industry have to say. Yeah, you're going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like I said, we span heaviness. We had just dudes that are pure rock and roll, guys that have been around since the beginning with Eddie, and then guys that are new on the scene. So it's cool to be able to talk to all these guys. And like I mentioned, after all of them, if we had help from Freeman Promotions and, of course, Jody Best, Helped bring on several past guests. A huge thank you to both them. And a huge thank you to everybody that I just reached out to. Like Eddie Valise and Mike Ariza and so on. That I just hit up on Messenger on Facebook and said, hey, let's do this. And they agreed. So, Yeah, it was a total honor to, to for all this to get lined up. Good work, man. Yeah. It just kind of, like I said earlier, we were going to like just do an episode where we talked with someone. And it just spiraled out of control. Yeah. And I, it almost got overwhelming to me there for a minute. But yeah, after like contacting everybody and like it kind of got overwhelming because I thought, you know, if we send out 20, 25 messages, you know, we'll get lucky if we get 10 or 12 of them. And yeah. then the majority of them responded. And I even had a few that responded and said they would do it, but we just couldn't work out a time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so this could have been even longer if it had worked out that way. But exactly. And I imagine going forth on the podcast, you know, there will probably be people in the future that we talk to Eddie about because he had such an impact on everybody. Yeah. So kind of like I mentioned throughout that, we've got episodes now coming up with Mike Spritzer of Devil Driver, Mitch Perry of the Mitch Perry Group, Paige Hamilton of Helmet, Tyler Bryant, Tyler Bryant of Shakedown, who else? Eric Bass, our good buddy. Yes who has been in a lot of acts around the Tulsa area. Then we've got ones with uh, Blake Bedsall from Saul. We've got... Alan Robert. There back. you go. Yeah, we just we hadn't even announced that one because I think that was recorded since the last yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Alan Robert of Life of Agony will be back. And I know there's a couple more that I should have had this all written down, but I did not. God damn you. But regardless, you'll see it all coming here in the coming weeks. Mercedes Lander was on here recently, and Vibermouth picked that up, so check that out. We've also had recent ones with everybody that was just on here. Guys from Guns N' Roses and Kiss, Megadeth, Testament, Crowbar, Shinedown. A long-ass list. Right. TheThunderUnderground.com is the website. You can listen on there. You can also see reviews. You can find all our socials on there. So click on all the socials and like us or follow us. If you ever see a post from us, just do us a favor and like it or comment on it or anything. That helps get the word spread around. We would greatly appreciate it. You can listen to us 
pretty much everywhere podcasts are heard. Next week, we've got Sammy Hagar coming up. God, I wish. <laughs> we do not. Actually, I have not planned what our next episode is going to be, but we've got some good ones, so. It'll be pretty, a good one. Pretty excited. Yeah, Damon Johnson's in one I didn't mention. Right, yeah. That yeah. one's coming up. It'll be one of those guys, one of those people we just listed, so be on the lookout for all that. And there you go. Any last words about Eddie? Or we have we said it all, I think. I think we said it all. All right. You know, rest in peace. There you go. Once again, massive thank you to Freeman Promotions, Best Bet Promotions, Main Road Management, all 14 of our guests for taking some time out to talk to us. Hell Hot Hot Sauce, Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, and DEB Concerts. And until next time. <laughs>